Welcome to the Digging Deep ATV MX Podcast with your host, two-time defending ATV motocross national champion, Cody Jensen. Am I on air? What's up, everybody? We're back. I'm your host, Cody Jansen, and welcome to episode 60, episode 60 of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, or Loretta Lynn's Review Pod, presented by our title sponsor, CST Tires, available for purchase today at shop.csttires.com. It was so good to be back at Loretta's, and the racing was just as hot as the weather, which is saying something when you're at the ranch. We'll break down and analyze another wild weekend of racing in the episode ahead. Casey Greek will join us per the usual, and Brett Music will join us later on the episode and talk about winning pro sport at Loretta's, competing against one another in the pro class, all the way back to his mini quad days, and so much more fun conversation. I've really been looking forward to this one, and you you're truly going to enjoy it. Major thanks to our sponsors who are all on board with us tonight. CST Tires, go to shop.csttires.com. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, Valvoline, SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV components, Impact Solutions, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Gripped Gloves, Factory 43, Bikes, Trikes and Quads LLC, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Their clippers rock, their nose hair trimmer is amazing, and they have brand new industry-leading products that just hit the market as well. The new Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped is my secret to keeping a perfect beard. This new electric trimmer is so nice that, full disclosure, I've been using it only on my facial hair. Shh. So check out Manscaped. I wish I would have sooner. Get 20% off with free shipping by using code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Support all these great companies that support us and for any products that fall through the cracks, you know what to do. Click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website to help us out. By accessing Rocky Mountain from our specific link, we get a percentage of that and we both know you need parts and gear. So this is the easiest way to help support us, to help us out in a major way. Just use that link instead of the standard Rocky Mountain link. That's all we're asking and we really appreciate that. No matter what off-road gear parts you need, Rocky Mountain ATVMC has you covered. So before you buy, click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website to help us out in a major way. We can't thank you enough for that. We have one new donor to shout out this week, Justin Branham, who actually won one of our rounds of Digging Deep ATVMX Fantasy earlier this season. Congrats on that. But he's been so gracious to send over a donation this week, stating that he loved our content and the spotlight that we're putting on guys who deserve the coverage. So Justin, uh, we just want to thank you so very much for the support and the kind words. This is exactly why we work so damn hard at this. You're the man. Thank you so much. For anybody else who's interested you can find the patreon and buy me a coffee donation links on our website like i said for anybody that's interested in possibly donating as well thanks so much guys now the 30 second board is up it's sideways and the gate is down time to dig deep let's go all right guys he's one of the voices of atv motocross he's the suspension tuner of the stars and he's a staple on these race review podcasts brought to you by Blender's Eyewear, delivering the world's raddest and most affordable eyewear to people like us 
who are adventurous and live life in forward motion. Brooke Dallas and myself absolutely love our blenders and you will too. Use discount code diggingdeep20 at blenderseyewear.com. Coming to us from one of my favorite places in the world from Impact Solutions. Say hello to Mr. Casey Greek. What's up, Casey? How's Gatlinburg? Hey, Cody. It's good. Um, happy to be here again and you know, trying to spend a little bit of family time this week. I think we're going to, we've been here two days and got to head home and get back to work and get back on the grind and uh, get the kids ready for school, starting back up on Monday and all that kind of good stuff. So just kind of worked out to where we had a little pit stop on the way home from Loretta's and get to enjoy our time a little bit. Today looks like it's actually going to be beautiful. It rained all day yesterday. So looking forward to enjoying that. Awesome. Yeah. I, I appreciate you making a little time, uh, for us during your family trip there. I'm glad you guys are doing that. You guys had the family at the, at the racetrack at Loretta's there, which was awesome. So, um, grateful that that all worked out for you guys. Grateful you're here with us now and, uh, looking forward to get into, into, into Loretta Lynn's here. So, uh, here's the plan tonight. Casey and I are going to recap Loretta Lynn's from this past weekend. And then we're going to drop another episode next week as we cover, uh, things as we get a little closer to Briarcliff previewing the finale for you guys. So now that uh, you guys know the schedule, let's get right into another crazy event. This one at Loretta Lynn's and Casey, I feel like I've been saying this after each one of these things, but this was another wild one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was an exciting race. Uh, a lot of crazy things happen. Uh, some unfortunate things happen, I would say. And, you know, it's just one of those weekends that you couldn't have called the cards the way they fell and predicted it going into the weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think about this every weekend. I think I think about it more now than ever before. Now that we do the fantasy thing, um, you know, you'd think uh, after the whole season that we've seen play out here that we'd be able to predict these things a little better, but it's so damn hard. So, um, but Casey, uh, like we do every week before we dig too deep, let's start things off with the impact solutions impact moment. I think you kind of touched on it there. Um, this is where we highlight something good and positive happening in ATV motocross. And I think you're going to um, kind of touch on a scary moment that we saw right away on Saturday morning. So uh, give us your impact solutions impact moment. Yeah, definitely. This isn't a positive by any means, but I did reach out to Wesley um, on Monday. Uh, yeah, Monday or Tuesday there and just, just asked him if he wanted to say something. Wesley's not huge on, you know, doing these kind of shows or, you know, even social media stuff. And I figured he wanted to kind of get his voice out there. So super scary moment for, for Wesley. I think second lap of first qualifier. And basically what he said, I mean, I'll read it pretty much for from or for verbatim of what he had texted me. Okay. Just because he was using voice chat because his arm was messed up. Yep. Or, you know, voice to text. Plus, I'm sure there were some pain pills involved. So <laughs> some of it doesn't really make a hundred percent sense. But I did talk to him here just about 15 minutes ago just to kind of clarify a couple of things. I wanted to find out his whole list of injuries okay. and just kind of go back over what was going on. And um Basically, he just says it's just a freak accident. When they told me the quad shut off, I knew right away that it didn't, that it didn't, it actually shut off, but it wasn't because the bike blew up or there was a mechanical malfunction. It was, he basically blames it on himself. He said, I have heavy shoulders and it was a mistake on myself. He's like, I don't really know why I didn't bail. He's like, it's just not my style to give up. <laughs> which okay. is true to true to yes. Wesley. Yes, it is. Um, there's a free accident or freak accident. Nobody's fault. Just a, extremely thankful 
And it was an eye opener the amount of people that have reached out and called and text. Um, you know, he's very thankful for his girlfriend. And then, you know, he goes through Jacob Stevens, Johnny Hale, his mom and dad, his entire crew, you know, and kind of here, it's just unbelievable how many people had reached out and which that's the positive of this. Mm -hmm. And it can go into like the impact solutions moment if we want to there is how many people actually reached out to him and the list of um, injuries for him is unreal. Um, Broken forearm. Uh, he had a pinhole in his lung, broken rib, had to completely reconstruct his elbow. And like talking to him, he said they pretty much had to take his elbow out, put it on the table, reconstruct it all, and put it back in. The doctor came in and basically told him, like, your elbow's a mess. Oh, my. So, which we didn't even know that at the track. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know that that was a problem. I just heard that he broke both arms or broke two bones in his arm. In his arm. Yeah, that's what I had heard, too. Yeah, so then uh, he had blood on his spleen, which is why he didn't end up getting surgery till Monday. Okay. Feel obviously a concussion. Um, he doesn't remember much of the crash after hitting the ground because he pretty much drove that thing in at, like, I said 6 o'clock, he said 8 o'clock. So okay. I'm like, you were upside down? He's like, yeah, I think so. So he doesn't remember a bunch of that. But one thing I, he wanted to set on was, you know, that – it wasn't the bike blowing up like everyone said it was. He doesn't okay. want Johnny to take that on his shoulders. Okay. Um, and as a you know past mechanic and as a suspension tuner, we never want a failure on our hands at all. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know Johnny was beating himself up pretty hard. And I talked to Johnny midday and he's like, yeah, I washed the bike. I put it in the trailer, kicked it and fired right up. So, I mean, that tells us right there that, you know, maybe it was a, a mental you know, mistake on Wesley, mm-hmm. maybe something goofy just went on, you know, no one's really ever going to know. I know when Rodney announced it, he said it just went like the bike just went silent, but if Wesley's foot hit the rear brake, locked oh, yeah. thing up and Wesley didn't have the clutch in or something, right. I mean, there we go. It just shuts the thing down and they hit the ground. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was really cool for me to see. I mean, before I even got over to talk to Johnny, I was going over to talk to Johnny and just tell him like, hey, for one race, I actually have my vehicle here. It's over the top of the hill. I'll go get it if you guys need it. I know Johnny had his truck there, but they had quite a few people that needed to transport to the hospital to be by Wesley's side. Yep. And then, so they were going to take Johnny's truck. But if, if Johnny needed to go somewhere or, you know, Eric, Wesley's dad, you know, I was just like, hey, here's my, here's my vehicle. Take it. And the same thing, John Ford came right up to me as I was heading over to talk to Johnny. And he said, you know, make sure Johnny knows that I got a couple of different vehicles here. They're right here. The keys are in them. Take them if those guys need them, or if Eric needs it, or any of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's always good to see the outpouring of the community. And, yeah. you know, that was kind of, you know, what I wanted to shoot after was just kind of letting, you know, Wesley explain himself a little bit there and get that statement out. I know there's a lot of concerned people out there, and Wesley has a pretty good following. And he's one of the, you know, the blue-collar, hard-worker guys of um, the sport. And, it was fun talking to him this morning. You can tell he's in some pain. He said last night was pretty rough. It's the first night that like all the hospital, you know, pain killers and stuff have wore off completely. Okay. And so he said it, it was rough and trying to figure out how to sleep with your arm completely in a cast and with pins and everything in your arm now. Okay. And, you know, this is one of Wesley's first big injuries. And, you know, he said, my whoop bones just don't break. 
I said, Wesley, you've always been the young guy. You're not the young guy anymore. You're true. you're up here in age with the, you know, with the yeah. seasoned guys in this class now. You know, I think he's been in the pro class five or six years now. So mm-hmm. he's not quite the young, you know, little buck that he was when he entered the pro class. So it's good. I think it's an eye-opener for him, not in a bad way. Um, he's bummed that he won't be able to race Briarcliff. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, like, mad. So he said he should be good. He said he's his goal is to be off of all pain medicine by the end of this week. Okay. And he plans on attending Briarcliff as long as he can drive. And the doctor said he can drive as long as he's not on any pain medication, obviously. Sure. So yep. that's his plan right now. So, and I told him, I said, I think that'll be good. A lot of people want to see you and know that you're okay. Um, mm-hmm. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, the doctors and I think someone else had told him that, it, you know, it could have been really bad, mm-hmm. like to the unspoken, the things that we don't want to speak about on any show or, you know, even in public. And that was kind of what, when I went and talked to Eric, when he was getting ready, you could tell he was obviously rattled. Um, we all know the risks that we, we take when we step foot over these machines. And I told Eric, you know, he's like, well, he's definitely broken arm with concussion. And I said, well, you know, he's moving, he's talking, his fingers, toes, everything. He said, yeah. And I said, well, that's that's the best case scenario for the accident that had happened. You know, and that sounds cold in a sense, but at the in the real time of this real world, that's the best case scenario is to have a broken arm and a concussion. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want anyone to have a, even a bump or a bruise, right? But mm-hmm. it could go the other direction. So, you it know, could. best wishes for Wesley and healing. Um, I was excited to actually talk to him this morning and just kind of get his feel and his take on everything that was going on. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a few things I want to touch on there. I mean, when something so scary like that happens, it does become very apparent how everybody is in this thing together that everybody, um, when something like that happens, it's like everybody just bands together for that person. And I think you really saw that you saw that right when it happened, You've seen that since everybody kind of pulling together for Wesley. So to hear some of that is pretty cool. Um, And a couple other things, like one thing that we'll touch on um, as we kind of go here, this Loretta's was a little different this year in the fact that some of the faces were big on the jumps. I don't know, like if the people on the sidelines would have noticed that, but some of the faces were much bigger than years past. That jump was probably one of the ones that, you know, was pretty built up and, you know, I didn't actually see the crash. I just missed it. Uh, so I saw Wesley on the ground there and he was in a precarious spot. Like it was a weird spot to be laying. Um, so yes, like it seems to me that things could have had the opportunity to go much worse, to be much worse for him. So the fact that he got out of that, yeah, he's got some gnarly injuries, but there's stuff that he's all going to be able to overcome. Uh, that's a, another, uh, really big thing. And, you know, Man, it's just the biggest part of it that sticks with me is Wesley Wolf has absolutely no question stood out in 2021 in the way that he improved, the way that he became a contender um, and and getting podiums for the first time. I mean, he took a jump that I definitely didn't expect him to, and that's impressive. So ATV community, amazing. Wesley, uh, obviously, you know, we're thinking about him, but I'm glad that he got out of there without worse injuries. And then the fact that, man, this don't let this ending 
overshadow how amazing of a season he had. So T's and P's to Wesley Wolf. Thoughts and prayers, obviously, to him. And, and he'll look to come back better than ever in 2022. I don't know how all that'll go down. I know um, like, like J.J. Launderville, uh, you know, he messed up his elbow real bad. And, you know, you're looking at, you know, nine to 12 months when you got something gnarly with an elbow yeah. like that, that that's tough. So I don't know how that'll all work out for Wesley Wolf. As far as timing goes, we'll obviously learn that in the months going forward. Um, but Casey, if social media had a vote kind of touching on what I was just talking about there over the course of the last week or two, since our last episode, when we kind of mulled over this topic, they indicated that WW would have been the slam dunk favorite for most improved pro here in 2021. And that's kind of where I want to end this with is man, let's not forget just because he didn't race the last two events here, how absolutely stand out impressive Wesley Wolf was this past season. Yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, one of the calls that I had made was, you know, was it Wesley or Jeffrey in the sense of the most improved guy. So, um, no, very, very impressive season going, you know, for Wesley is, you know, it's a bummer to end it the way it's going to end. Um, he did tell me the doctor told him to not even think about touching a quad for three months. So he's in a little bit better situation than JJ is. Oh, JJ's good. in a pretty rough. Great to hear. Yeah. Awesome. You know, situation. So I think with the head injury that Wesley had, um, that's probably the most serious side to what is all wrong with him. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, three months is definitely a positive for him to take yes. that time off and yes. get himself back to 100%. You know, he said, he said the unfortunate part for him is doctor told him elite, he can't go back to work for at least six weeks, which we all know <laughs> the way Wesley is. He's probably ready to go swing a hammer right now. Right. Um, so, you know, there's some positives there and some learning. And I think it's going to give Wesley the time to kind of reset and get re-geared for 2022 and he's definitely fired up and ready to go. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear because on, on Friday night, um, and Wesley isn't the guy that I communicate a ton with. I, we've invited him on the show a few times. And, and like you said, he's more of a private guy, right? But, uh, his dad and specifically his uncle, both probably for the last five years, seek me and my family out on every single race weekend. So Bobby comes over and his dad had been over previously, but on Friday night, and we're talking about, you know, you know, Hey, he's only 15 points down from third. Like he's got these podiums this year. I mean, he's very much in contention for this thing. And he, and um, I was also told that, you know, he's, you know, he obviously the obvious to us watching how this season played out that he grabbed another gear this season. He improved in a major way. It seems like that Johnny Hill program has been the perfect recipe for him. And it sounds like he's going to take even another step or his plan before all this was to take another step um, with preparation and maybe doing even a little more this off season. So hopefully um, he's able to overcome these injuries and kind of stick to that plan. Cause it sounded like we can almost expect him to take another jump next season from what I was told. So that'll be really uh, interesting to see how all that plays out. But again, thoughts and prayers to him. He had such an impressive season going. There's no arguing that that's for certain. Uh, let's move on to that. Then that was our impact solutions impact moment. Um, let's move on to the rest of the racing then. And, and so Joel Hattrick took the top spot in qualifying and all indications were that he was locked in um, and in a great mental space heading into this one. Casey, tell me about that. Yeah, I think Joel comes into Loretta's all the time, feeling pretty confident. And, you know, he just got done, got his house closed, got moved into his new house. And, you know, 
I was glad that Joel kind of mentioned that on the podium, like that he had been going through some stuff, not negative stuff in his personal life, but just stuff that kind of, I think, kept him away from, um, you know, being 100% focused. And when you're racing at this level, you have to be 110% focused on only this and your entire life is devoted. So mm-hmm. um, I'm glad he actually said that. I've been saying it for a little bit, but what does that mean? That doesn't mean nothing. And so for him to actually kind of verbalize that was really cool. I think he's in a good spot. He's real close to the shop now. So he gets to spend some more time with the guys in the shop and, you know, they can help him out with his practice machine and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, just come down to a couple good starts for him and getting himself in a position. And, you know, we didn't see, um, you know, first moto, I thought we were going to see a little bit more of a battle transpire, but I think there was a small mistake of Joel coming in 10 commandments and it just gave Chad that little bump. And, you know, Joel had to spend some time getting around a couple guys to get into position. And I've seen just watching lap times, he was closing a little bit on Chad, but those two right now, their speed is, I mean, virtually identical. So it really, really comes down to mistakes and who starts in front of who. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So specifically, uh, just, and, and we'll get into more of the racing as we go here, kind of moto by moto, but I was glad that Joel touched on, on that, on the podium. I thought it was him being really real and authentic. And I think we do get that a lot of times from Joel, but it was more just like you said, giving a glimpse into all the real world stuff that he was dealing with at the time. And it was great to see him though, at the racetrack at Loretta's kind of be the Joel Hetrick that we've seen and expected over the course of the last, however many years. So that was great to see. Um, but let's get into the racing then Casey, because, uh, any eight digging deep ATV MX fantasy player out there knows that, uh, qualifying literally has no impact on the motos. It just muddies the waters. And speaking of mud, the tracks started out muddy both Saturday and Sunday, but for the pros here on Saturday, the track was, was primo with the sole exception of the whole shot. Basically the track was in perfect condition. Just the whole shot sucked. <laughs> yeah. And I think the start is pretty much the lowest point on that track. And uh, had to be. I've been, had to be. I've been, well, yeah, obviously um, I've been racing that Loretta's, you know, between ATVs and dirt bikes since the early part of the 2000s. So probably 2002 was the first time I was at Loretta's and they've always gotten the track to come around really quick. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've seen this weekend. I mean, the track was always pretty good, maybe a little one line for a little bit, you know, something like that, but then it would start opening it up and we'd get lines in it. But yeah, the starting line was just a, just a train wreck all week. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was, up there quite a few times with uh dane molander and stuff but i'm just like wow like the ruts out of the gate were just massive and then obviously the slick and the snot all the way there but um racetrack wise i think the race was fine i, I was happy with the track all weekend I, all the guys you know talking with janusa like he really enjoyed the track um joel you know i didn't get to talk to chad about the track exactly say but everyone was pretty happy with the track Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was impressed with it. Um, like I said, Loretta's is Loretta's. Uh, it's very similar every year. Like you said, that they, they are able to get it to come around real fast. Specifically, though, this year, like I like I stated earlier, the faces were big. So it was cool. Yeah. A lot of times, a lot of times, um, 
man, you have to stretch every jump on that track just to make the landings because the, the faces are rolled over. I don't know how, if it's that way for the bikes or if they're bigger for the bikes and then they just, you know, kind of disintegrate over that week of racing that leads up to the quads going down there. Um, but this year specifically, the faces were big and that was kind of, uh, kind of fun, kind of different. Um, they were as big as, as, as I, you know, and as long as I can remember basically. Um, but yeah, the Loretta's is Loretta's. And, and a lot of times we see great racing. And I think we saw that in moto one, uh, Brandon Hogue ripped the, the whole shot there. He was my tier two fantasy pick. So I was stoked on that, but quickly Chad, we grabbed the lead and went on to lead every lap in this one. I guess, um, I didn't, I, I didn't really know what to fully expect from Chad with the points lead he had, but after, uh, or, or has, I should say, but after a good start and getting to the lead, uh, I guess the safest thing to do is go out and ride in clean air and try to win that moto. And that's exactly what he did in moto one. Yeah, definitely. And Chad's proved this year that he's not laying down for anybody. I mean, he's there to fight. And even in the second moto, and we'll get there too, um, he, he's in it. Like, he's racing 100% one race at a time right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's nothing you can take from that, you know, or take away from that. You can take a whole lot from that in the sense that the fight in his age and where he's at right now is still just as strong as it was when he was 23, 24, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's legendary. Um, so, so Hogue remained in second for the first two laps before Joel got him, and, and Joel made a run at Chad. You kind of referenced that already near the middle of the moto Joel made a run at Chad, uh, but it was just never able to get close enough to really make it interesting. Yeah. I just couldn't get, you know, enough. And that's what I said. They're just, they're splitting hairs and we've seen that in qualifying, you know, a couple tents here, a couple tents there. Um, you know, and so you just watched it and, you know, from our side, you're wanting Joel, you know, from my side, you're wanting Joel to get up there and, and make a race of it. And I think as the fan perspective side of it, we obviously want to see that race mm-hmm. and it just never really transpired. Uh, you know, Brandon was riding so good for the first three quarters of the moto and he had a, you know, he had a mistake late in that moto that ended up costing him quite a few positions. Yeah. So he was the next guy I kind of wanted to touch on. Let me state again. He was my fantasy pick. He was on my team all week long. He ran alone in third for the entire race. And then when the two lap board comes out, he falls from third to sixth. I was going to ask you because I was sitting on the gate at the time. I was the moto after the the pro first moto there. Um, so I didn't see it, but what happened to Brandon Hogue with two laps to go in moto one? Um, there was an inside roller and Joel actually had a mistake over it too on the back side of the track and on the outside of the corner, it was one of those corners that was still holding like the sloppy mud and something okay. had happened. He ended up in that and kind of got hung up and had to spin around and he had already started to fade. I don't know if it was the heat or exactly what was going on with Brandon, even in both motos, mm-hmm. but late in the motos, he really you know, faded. And I hate to even mention that because Brandon is in incredible shape. And so I think there was just something off with him, you know, my personal opinion, mm-hmm. and it means nothing. And I know nothing about training, obviously, but I think he's almost to the point where he's overtrained right now. Sure. And um, I think that's, it hurt him this weekend. So he had spun out and did that and it took him a minute to get going again. And, you know, he got passed. He went from third to six and, you know, Bryce and, um, I think it was Bryce and Max yep. and Janusa all got around him. Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, so he was kind of in no man's land in third there, and that pack behind him was catching him a little bit, but it sure seemed like like he was going to be able to hold the spot. I mean, that's the way it looked. Um, like they were going to maybe be able to get up to him, but probably not get by him. That's the way it looked. It looked like third was his. So after that all goes down, Bryce Ford inherits the podium spot. And man, that first moto, and I know I made a post about this yesterday, but it might've been a preview of the future of ATV motocross because Bryce Ford and Max Linkless were bumper to bumper for nearly the entire moto. Um, and, and like I said, that might've been a preview of what we can expect to see in the future of ATV motocross. We saw this on, uh, or I should say, we, we spoke of this, we uh, bantered about this on the previous episode. Yeah, definitely. And Bryce didn't let me forget that either. He, <laughs> he had called me out before the moto or before the races even started. He came and found me and he's like, I can't believe you'd bet against me. And I said, well, I said, if I did one thing, I fired you up. And um, like I said in the show, with full disclosure, like it, it, it's nothing against either one of those guys. And, no. you know, it's just going off of like feelings or whatever it is um, into what the future is going to hold. And when you look at the, the model that Max has to follow, and especially after Chad's comment at Redbud, it kind of puts me in a feeling that, you know, that relationship between Max and Chad isn't going to end, and Max is only going to get better there. But as soon as I seen Bryce after the first moto, he's like, he's like 17 minutes in, he's like, all I can think about is what you said, and that's what <laughs> made me fight just to make sure Max couldn't pass me. I come over the podium and pretty much said, you know, F you Casey, I proved you wrong type of thing. So, right. and I told Bryce, I said, well, if that's what, if it worked, it worked. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at that. And um, so it, that was good racing. I mean, it's definitely a preview of what we're going to see in the future. Those two guys right now are the youngest guys in the class and they're, and they're strong and they're, and they're really, really good riders. And both of them are mature riders and both of them are very consistent. Bryce is getting more and more consistent um you know his second moto didn't go as planned for him and you know we obviously seen his troubles at redbud so that's what i'm kind of saying like just getting those final consistency points down is what bryce needs and you know max is killing it right now i mean two podiums you know in a row that's something that um neither one of us called no it's amazing um it's amazing what those kids are doing right now Again, I needed to touch on that battle that we saw in the first moto there because it was impressive. And I was told uh, by another member of the Ford camp there on Friday that uh, your your comments fired fired Bryce up. Um, so I love it. I love that digging deep is a thing that these guys are are listening to and, and thinking about whether they're on or off the racetrack. So uh, impressive there for Bryce, though, to hold off a hard-charging Linquist for 25 minutes. Um, that's a long time to hit all your marks lap after lap. So great job to both of those guys. Uh, the last two guys I want to touch on individually in Moto One are Nick Janusa and Jeffrey Rastrelli. Um, so, so Nick Janusa battled throughout the race to go from eighth to fifth, which is impressive. We talked about that all season long um, to move up through that what we call the tier two pack and digging deep ATVMX fantasy. That's impressive to get up from eighth to fifth by the finish. Jeffrey Estrella, he kind of did the inverse. He went from fourth and fell to seventh throughout the moto, which was costly for Jeffrey because we know he's locked in that battle for third and points. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately for Jeffrey, some, somewhere along the line, he got a tire puncture, which is very uncharacteristic um, in these races, being on groomed, close course 
uh, races, you know, we don't even run tire balls in front tires and there was a gouge. So was it from the battle with him and Janusa, you know, hitting each other and, you know, dicing with each other? Was it a random stick or a rock just the way he landed, you know, incorrectly, but it was a smaller hole. So it wasn't like the thing just went completely flat. And I don't know if a lot of people really realize how much a tire can contract and expand mm-hmm. even with a hole in it because it allows it to breathe. So it allows the air to come back in the tire. Right. So I think it took him even a few laps to understand why his bike was so erratic. Sure. And, you know, he told me, he's like, it just wore me flat out. He's like, and it took me forever to try to figure out what was going on. And then I realized, oh, I have a flat front tire. And so to continue to push the way he did and, and finish as strong as he did with a flat front tire is still pretty impressive. It is. So that knowing that now, I'm so glad that we got to touch on that because that changes the context of everything. Cause he had a good second moto, a good solid second moto him dealing with that in the first moto um, is, is, uh, is a shame, but I'm glad that we learned that because that changes the context of everything. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wonder uh, what caused that. I saw a number of pictures where there was like the, you know, the yellow Acherbis kind of track markers. I saw a bunch of those pictures uh, stuffed in, in like in the berm and stuff. So who knows what causes that, but uh, either way, I'm glad that we got that knowledge on Jeffrey there, because again, I think there was a lot of people scratching their heads because we haven't seen that Jeffrey's been so strong uh, that fade uh, was just, you know, odd to see there. Um, but okay. So let's move on to moto two. Then, uh, Brandon Hogue rips another whole shot, but that's where the two similarities between the motos end, uh, really, because they were very different. Joel Hattrick moved into the lead almost immediately and set sail. He eventually grabbed the moto win and the overball overall by over 10 seconds. And you could tell that this felt good for Joel Hattrick. He was pumped after he crossed the finish line with the win there, uh, really a dominating controlling moto two and overall victory there for him. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that he needed. I mean, he was very vocal about it, that he needed it. And he was more excited about that second moto win than, I, than I've seen him excited about a win in a long time. So, And it's been a while since he's, you know, since he's won. And I think it was a step in the right direction for him, for him getting him back on track to where, you know, he feels the confidence that he needs to have racing against someone like Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. Like I said earlier, it was just good to see, you know, the Joel Hattrick that we know and, and love and enjoy uh, back because we haven't seen that in a little while. The Joel Hattrick that we expect on a Loretta Lynn style racetrack, we saw that in Moto2 and, and that was impressive. So he grabs the the overall, it was his fifth win of the season. Uh, Chad Weenan. Uh, didn't get as good of a start in Moto One, and and supposedly uh, Max Linquist was the one who bumped him off the track early in the opening lap. Uh, but he got the second right away, and and you could tell he pushed early, but soon opted to back it down just to touch and play it safe. So runner up in the second Moto meant second overall for Chad Wien, and, and splitting motos on the day meant that he maintained his twenty two point lead uh, heading into the finale just a couple of weeks from now. Solid day for Chad. It sounded like he was, he was happy with it because he was, you know, obviously uh, gets the win in the first moto. That was good for him. Moto two, he puts a little push on and then you could watch him just, just back it down. And at one point it looked like he was, you know, uh, maybe 
not necessarily cutting into the lead, but he was matching Joel early and then uh, just backed it down, played it safe, ran in second and, and kind of decided to take this thing uh, to the finale with that 22 point lead. Yeah. And their, their lap times were so close, even, you know, first moto to second moto yep. um, in each other's lap times within tenths of each other, every lap or lap after lap. So, I mean, Chad, you know, if the wind's not there or he's not willing to go that fast with where he's at in points and then with not losing any points, mm-hmm. he did exactly what a champion does. And he just rode the thing in. He had no pressure from behind, you know, and so that's it's champion. It's sort of championship mode. But then we talk about like the first moto that wasn't championship mode. Chad can afford to go two two the rest of the season and still win with a very big points lead. And not even have to race at this point in the sense of racing against Joel. All he's got to do is beat the rest of the field and finish second. So he he's not a hundred percent in championship mode. He's in he's in championship mode when he has to be. And that second moto was part of that. Yeah, nobody, nobody is better at managing a title than Chad Weenie. He's proved that over the last decade. Uh, he's amazing at it. So um, so yeah, but like you said, I mean, he's still going for it when it's there and, and when, you know, it's going to be a little sketchy to push for it. Um, he, you know, doesn't push for it and, and that's, that's what champions do. So that was impressive. Uh, Max Lindquist fresh off his first career podium past Brandon Hogurley and, and basically ran all by himself for most of, uh, most all of the second moto there, he would finish third in moto two. And his four, three moto finishes would earn him another spot on the podium. The 17 year old rookie earns back-to-back podium finishes with another third or third overall late in his rookie season. This kid is the real deal. I'm sure you would have loved to see him do it before red bud. Cause that's what you called, but back-to-back man, red bud. And now at Loretta's man, I, I, I don't know what to say. We've been saying, we don't know what to say about this kid, but Holy shit. Is he making a statement here late in his rookie season? Yeah, definitely. And that's what, you know, we kind of expected or, you know, we had kind of foreseen earlier in the year. And what I've seen with him right now is his starts have improved. I think we would have seen more of this of Max earlier in the season with some better starts. But I think it goes down to like the confidence. And so the confidence is there for him right now. And he's getting the starts that he needs and he's putting himself in that position. And, you know, that second moto, he just kind of did his thing in third and ends up putting himself on the podium again. So um impressive to say the least and you know he's actually made a pretty good race at this in the sense of where he's going to end up finishing points mm-hmm. yeah we'll get into that uh as we as we kind of tie up loretta specifically here um but yeah max linquist i don't know what else to say man this this kid is amazing uh nick janusa so he battled forward in both motos this one he raced uh up from seventh to fourth by the finish, which was good enough for fourth overall for him. Casey, uh, Nick is, is back in the top five in pro class points as well now, which we know he's always done as a pro, um, kind of put himself back in that position. Solid day for Nick Janusa, fourth overall. That's, um, that's, that's a good day. Yeah, I think he was really happy. Um, I think he was happy with his writing more than his paper score because obviously he expects to be on the podium, right. um, but he rode well and it's just, I mean, it's beating a dead horse here, but it just starts um, when you look at the list of guys that he raced against his entire moto, they're all staples of this, of this class. It's not like he just kind of jumped 
you know, through a bunch of the, you know, back markers or guys that aren't quite on the same pace as he is like he raced through the fastest guys in the class. So, um, a solid day for Nick, um, fourth overall is nothing to be ashamed of. And it's just a matter of, um, I think a couple position better starts going to put him into some more motos like he had at Sunset Ridge, that first moto of just a solid third place. Yeah. Now, now for the listeners, think about what I'm saying here, battling forward in that gnarly group, uh, you know, that battling through those guys, passing those guys, battling forward in both motos. That's the impressive part. So I'm not surprised that he was happy with, uh, with the way he was riding. That was impressive in itself. So fourth overall for Nick Janusa was very solid. Fifth was Jeffrey Rastrelli. Um, he battled back and forth fifth in moto two, I should say for Jeffrey. So he battled back and forth for the top five position, all moto long, um, seven, five for Jeffrey sixth overall on the day. And now eight points back of that third place spot sits Jeffrey Rastrelli. He's going to need to be perfect at Briarcliff to achieve that desired top three spot, Casey. Yeah. And the, the thing I wanted to touch and I didn't want to go into it too early talking about the first moto with Jeffrey, I think the fighting that he had to do in the first moto, the battling that he did with Nick Janusa, and yep. then, you know, having a flat tire causing the bike to handle, you know, obviously terrible. I don't know if anyone's ever ridden with a front flat tire, but that's no good. Horrible, I think it yeah. just pretty much flat out wore him out going into the second moto. So sure. he was up, you know, up further in the race and put a fade on in the second moto because he was so fatigued after the first moto talking to him a little bit after the second moto and kind of getting his opinion. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. Um, again, and with that kind of heat, with that kind of humidity, the track was pretty rough from starting the, the day out wet, which is always typical when you deal with those conditions. Um, so it's not surprised that, you know, battling that bike and the push that you get with a flat tire and then, you know, that the, the weather that they had, the, the track conditions that they had, it's not surprising. So, uh, hearing a little bit more about Jeffrey's day, it all makes so much sense. He fought his ass off. Um, uh, but like I said, he's going to be impressive. Obviously we know he wants that top three spot. Um, but the guy he's battling Bryce Ford, he was great in moto one finished, finished third in moto one. We'll get right back to the show, but now a word from our sponsors. And thank you for listening to these ads. Without these great companies, none of this would be possible. Show your support for the people who support us. Welcome to the team, two-time champ Joel Hetrick, who dropped the biggest news of the offseason when he announced his move to CST Tires. The CST takeover has been gaining momentum over the past several seasons, and now Joel Hetrick and his Phoenix Racing teammate Jeffrey Rastrelli are the most recent additions. The Pulse MXR tire has helped lead riders like Thomas Brown to race wins in three consecutive Quad Cross of Nations titles, Nick Janusa to the Pro Class podium, myself Cody Jansen as I rode my Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft compound rears to back-to-back -back national championships in the Junior 25 Plus class, and the most recent additions have us thinking a Pro Class national championship is on the horizon for CST tires. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics when compared to the competition. Visit shop.csttires.com to join the CST takeover today, or prepare to be beat by someone who did. Joel Hetrick, Jeffrey Rastrelli, Nick Janusa, myself, and so many others are believers in CST tires. Are you? CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. You already know we're Team Blue Crew here at the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. 
Whether it's second all-time winningest, seven-time and reigning ATV MX Pro Class National Champion Chad Wienan, or six-time and current XC1 Pro ATV GNCC National Champion Walker Fowler, it's clear the podium-proven Yamaha YFC 450R is the winning choice of sport ATVs. This unprecedented success for the YFC 450R, its unrivaled quality and performance, and the undeniable fact that Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing has created a Yamaha takeover within the sport quad market. Better yet, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program is back and even stronger for 2021, meaning Yamaha riders are about to cash in on higher payouts and more prize opportunities, including a chance to win a brand new YFZ 450R. For more info, head over to YamahaBlueCrew.com, follow them on social media at Yamaha Outdoors, and check out Yamaha's full proven off-road lineup at YamahaOutdoors.com today. For over 150 years, Valvoline has led the charge by being dedicated to constant improvement and innovation across all disciplines of racing. Valvoline has sponsored some of the greatest names in motorsports, and for the better part of a decade, I've been fortunate enough to be part of the historically great Team Valvoline. From my commuting vehicles to small engines, race quads, and everything in between, I trust nothing but Valvoline in all of my equipment. I've experienced increased function and durability as well as a longer life expectancy thanks to Valvoline's array of products and lubricants. Since 1866, Valvoline has been focused on bettering your experience, whether on road, on track, and everywhere in between. Upgrade to Valvoline today and check them out at valvoline.com. SSI decals is a name synonymous with ATV racing, synonymous with big time success, and absolutely synonymous with the best looking decals around. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. With what started as just making numbers and decals for riders like Chad Wienan, the company quickly took off. And today, you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker and designer now supports all the top teams in ATV motocross, as well as teams and riders racing GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, short course off-road trucks, UTVs, snowcross, and oh yeah, six-time NHRA world champion Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship level graphics. Head over to SSIDecals.com today and then maybe call the doctor because things are about to get sick. The Digging Deep ATV MX podcast is brought to you in part by DID in their range of championship winning chains. Powered by technology, DID chains are designed to give you the greatest strength to weight ratio, making them the optimal chain for racing and giving you a championship level edge. DID has been driving championship winning race programs since 1933, chosen by champions such as Chad Wienan, Joel Hetrick, and myself, Cody Jansen. Champion above the rest is DID's 520 ATV2 chain, with those same design principles and materials being used throughout their entire line of products, including their on-road category as well. Pick up a DID chain today at your local dealer or reputable online e-tailer. DID what drives you. We are proud to be partnered with Numira Technologies. Since 2001, Numira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market, covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Numira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, that allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Numira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits, 
Visit your local dealer or online at www.numira.com. Numira Technologies, pistons with an attitude. We are pleased to be partnered with Bronco ATV and UTV Components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, all the way down to suspension parts and bearing kits. Bronco is your hard part source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world. Visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. 4Works Carbon's innovative lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber, and plastic hoods, gas tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV, or snowmobile, 4Works has the goodies that will improve your ride and make you salivate. We trust 4Works for increased function and a sexier look, and you should too. 4Works Carbon, always working hard to bring high-quality and innovative parts to the market. Check them out today at fwcarbon.com. Uh, so Bryce Ford was great in Moto One. He finished third there, but early in Moto Two he crashed while running fifth. So he got up. He raced up to the the seventh spot by the finish. His three seven scores were good enough to earn him fifth overall in the day. But most importantly, and most impressively, for the second week in a row, he was able to extend his points lead for the that race for the third spot, despite not enjoying a perfect day. Um, was stuck in the in the the first corner in Moto Two at. At Redbud, he suffers this crash at the start of Moto2 at Loretta's um, and still is able to stretch that point lead for the third place spot. He's looking good. He's looking mature. And, and uh, you know, honestly, he's in the driver's seat um, for that top three spot, Casey, because there is something to be said when you're suffering these hurdles, when you're taking these blows and you're still able to do what you need to do um, and not crack under pressure. That's been impressive. I, I've, I've been impressed with Bryce down the stretch here. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. It seemed like he had like a second half of the series resurgent. Yeah. And um, I don't know what they changed or what he changed his program or if he just took some of the pressure off his shoulders. I don't know, but it, it definitely come better. And even, you know, rebounding from a crash or, you know, as far back as him and Jeffrey were at Redbud to rebound where they're at. I mean, he's literally making me eat my words in a sense <laughs> of um, his consistency because he's impressive and he continues to put, you know, a couple points a weekend on Jeffrey. And right now, you know, with eight points separating those two for Jeffrey to be able to surpass Bryce going into Briarcliff with two motos on the board. I mean, there's 50 points on the board there that could be had. So, you know, for Jeffrey, I think he's going to need to put him in, put himself in a position ahead of Bryce, both motos, and have a very, very consistent day. And, you know, when when you're finishing thirds, fourths, and fifths, there's not a lot of points gap there. You're not making up, you know, you're better off if you finish first than your guy finished second. You make up more points than if you're third and, and the other guy's fourth. So to have it, he's going to need Bryce to have a bad moto and him to have two really good motos to be able to get himself in that third in points. But either way, I mean, this has been an exciting battle um, to watch, and whoever comes out on the top is definitely, you know, very impressive. Um, and all these guys have been impressive. I, to me, they're they're all still in the hunt in a sense, but only having two motos left, it's hard to say that now with the gap back to Janusa from Jeffrey. And then, you know, the gap between Max and Nick is very tight. And the role that Max is on right now, it, that's going to be 
that's going to be the sticky one. I think there's more heat on that battle right now because the two points that mm-hmm. that can just be the difference of a fourth and a fifth in a moto or a third and a fourth in a moto on who ends up with that position there for the top five. Um, the Jeffrey and Bryce one, if both those guys go out and ride consistent motos, I don't think we see a huge change there. Um, I know either one of those guys would definitely like to see. I mean, Bryce obviously doesn't want to see a change, but Jeffrey's going to go out and lay it all out, come to Briarcliff, you know, with nothing to lose um, in the sense of he would have to have a really bad day for Nick to pass him. I think there's 10 points um, between Nick and Jeffrey right now. And so, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we got a heated battle from, what is it, third to sixth right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to monitor. We'll tie up some of those topics here when we conclude this thing in a couple minutes. Um, okay. So, so finishing up the pack here though, first, despite two hole shots, Brandon Ho goes six, six on the day for seventh overall, someone may need to ch- go check on Brandon because this is not going to sit well with him. No, definitely not. Um, he went up, he did the podium thing. You know, he went through those motions and stuff. And then he was sitting on his bike afterwards and I was standing right there with him. And I've seen this happen at Loretta's and um, it was with John, the year he won championship, which he'd gotten ran over in the heat and all the other stuff, but they start changing colors. And it's basically a heat thing and an exhaustion thing. And he was like trying to talk to me, but he wasn't making any sense. And he just kind of sat there and I'm like, Brandon, give me your stuff. I end up carrying his stuff back over to the TDR rig. And I was like, Brandon, you need to get back to the truck and you need to get cooled down. Like, I knew there was nothing really, really wrong with him besides the heat had, you know, and obviously gotten to him, the just physical exertion um, from both motos, and he just wasn't himself. And so, yeah, I mean, he's definitely not going to be a happy camper. He's, um, (laughs) it's not going to be a good week for Brandon because he's going to be so hard on himself. But in all honesty, I think he just needs to take it this week off and probably ride like once or twice next week and once or twice the week after and just kind of let himself recoup going into Briarcliff because he has so much potential. And, you know, it's kind of what we said the last time, like Brandon, you're young, chill out on yourself, chill out a little bit on your training. Like you're doing something. And I think it's too much, which we don't always get to say that about guys, but that's where I think he's at right now is just, Take a few days off. You know, I even heard Chad say on the podium, he's going to take this week off. You know, there's a reason he's taking this week off. You know, they're these guys, they know their bodies, and you don't get to Chad's position by not knowing your body and knowing, okay, a week off right now is going to be a good thing for me. It's going to benefit me more than hurt me. Brandon, take a week off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there, there's a lot of lot to be said. Um, when the seven time champ is saying he's going to take a week off, I think a lot of guys should probably listen to after what that exertion, that, you know, gnarliness that you put your body through at Loretta's and that heat and everything. Uh, yeah, you, you definitely got to recoup from that. So, um, there's something to be said about Chad Ween and doing that. So Brandon should probably consider doing something like that. Casey, any chance that he's, we're going to see him go back to the Honda because he's been very clear, uh, that, that that's uh, where his heart and his comfort zone is, I guess I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking about maybe 2022 or whatever. Um, but do you think he's going to stick with the Yamaha or are we going to go back to the Honda? No, I think, um, I mean, the Honda's already been sold. Timmy sold the Honda before Redbud, So that thing's okay. down the road. Um, I don't see him making that move. 
Ford next year, going back to the Honda. Um, he's found his comfort zone and, you know, he's enjoying the, the Yamaha now. And really right now, I think the focus is getting him a Yamaha to practice on. He's still practicing on a Honda and then jumping yep. on the Yamaha at the, on race days. So I think for him, it's just about getting him a practice program together with, you know, maybe a stock bike and then, you know, a replica of his race bike that he could ride a couple days a week and then just beat on that stalker. Cause we, we all know how, you know, legit the stock bikes are and how fast these guys can go on them and how well they hold up. So I think for Brandon, that's definitely probably the game plan moving forward. Yeah. I think that that's definitely the case. I think that we're going to see him grab another gear when he can practice on something similar to what he's racing. I mean, the, the we've said it before on these shows but racing you know racing the yamaha practicing on a honda that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do as a rider um so i i do feel for brandon uh, i don't think we're necessarily seeing him at his best and i think that when he's able to get that whole program together we're going to see him grab another gear um finishing up the rest of the pack here so logan stanfield is rock solid again eight eight for eighth um, that's kind of been his spot all season long, but w- was it a little less hectic this time around Casey at Loretta's? Because we know that, uh, he had to overcome a lot at Redbud for that eighth there. Yeah, I think his day was pretty smooth. Um, you know, and I felt like he rode really well at same result, you know, but, um, him and Cody Ford in a battle again, like we've seen so many times this year. And so, you know, he's not racing against slouches. He's racing, and they're, those two are battling it out, you know, for the entire moto. So, uh, yeah, but bike-wise, I mean, no crazy gremlins pop up out of nowhere, nowhere. It was just a smooth, you know, real smooth day for him. Um, I think I've changed a couple clickers for him, and he was relatively happy with his machine all day. Yeah, he killed it. Um, it's just, it's been impressive, uh, you know, how he's become so solid. Like he's, he's been in the top 10 um, every single race all season long. That eighth place spot has been his slot basically all season long. So that's been impressive. And uh, did you see him? I think it was the first moto. Cause that would have been when the, the gates were maybe a little more sketchy. The start was a little more sketchy. Did you see him choose the all the way outside gate? Yeah, definitely. And you know, when a gate's like that, it could come from anywhere. Oh, and, yeah. You know, it's such a long way around that outside, but you're so straight going into that corner. You know, your apex and the amount you have to slow down is drastically better than everyone coming from the inside because you have to make a way harder right-hand turn to get around yeah. the corner where he can just kind of straight line it. So as long as you get a decent jump and you don't get hung up, which he kind of did <laughs> – really like drug him down because they had been pushing the mud from one side to the other, trying to spread it out and trying to dry it out as they push it across. And that's kind of what I had anticipated them doing all day. So paying attention to where the last time they pushed the mud to was very important. And uh, I don't think it was a hundred percent the right choice, but with where qualifying fell and where he was at, you know, I think it worked out good for him. Yeah, I was sweating it a little bit because um, he was on my fantasy team this week. And uh, yeah, I was sweating it. It seemed like a little bit of a gamble, but it all worked out for him. He did um, have, okay. it, it wasn't 100% mellow day. He did bend an axle so bad on like the second lap that he ended up sitting out most of the first qualifier. Oh, I forgot, really? I, I forgot about that. Yeah, he sat there with me for <laughs> the whole qualifier watching. And I'm like, just man up and go ride the thing. 
and I picked up the rear end or Timmy or someone picked up the rear end and holy wobble, there was no way he was going out on that machine and being able to ride that thing without just destroying the entire bike and himself in the process. Oh my gosh. I wonder where that happened. You do 10 commandments, you go in the back and you come around, you do the off camber and you do the table. And then there's like the table that we've seen like Bryce Ford and uh, Joe Hedrick jumping, going yeah. table to single. He come up yep. short, I think on accident. I don't even, we'd have to ask him to have a hundred percent, but he come up short on the knuckle, like the roller okay. after and just yeah. yep. whop that thing right there. <laughs> it was bad. Okay. And that's why I asked, I wondered if it happened there because when I was eyeing that up in practice, I'm like, man, I, I think the whole pro class is going to jump it and not really, that didn't end up working out that way. So, um, so yeah, I wondered if that's where it happened. So, uh, okay. So wherever Logan Stanfield is odds are Cody Ford will be right there as well. Nine, nine for Cody, uh, yet another top 10 finish for him. He had another good solid day. I thought. Yeah, definitely. And I think Cody's, you know, he's showed himself to be a consistent top 10 guy this year. And that's exactly what he's doing. And it's those two have been swapping positions, you know, and I think with Wesley being out, I think we're going to end up seeing those guys, you know, move up a position in points and their consistency shows that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually eyeing up the the points there. It looks like Logan is very much in play to move up one spot with Wesley being out. It would uh, take a really, really strong day for Cody to do it, I think. Um, but yeah, could potentially benefit those guys that um, Wesley's not going to be able to line up for these last two. Okay, so the guy that uh, might have impressed me more than anyone on the day, Vitek Nakenyak. Welcome back to the top 10 for the first time since early March. He was 10th at the opener. And it wasn't just the fact that he put it in the top 10, but he was, um, he was able to hang with Cody Ford in moto two. And, and that's what really impressed me. He stayed right with him. That was super impressive. So major props to our Polish rider, Vitek Nikenyak. Uh, he was impressive at, at Loretta's and he's, you know, been a guy that I, I feel like it's almost like I've been monitoring him to see, you know, like one of these weekends, he's going to have a breakout ride and maybe just the grind of the season and learning all these tracks and, you know, being in a new country, all these things. I figured that was maybe just weighing on him, but man, to, 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 to do what he did at Loretta's um, he was a different rider this weekend. And I guess that's what I wanted to say. I mean, he was impressive. Yeah. And you know, like I don't get to watch him all the time. I do try to watch every rider a couple laps during the moto, just so, one, I don't sound like a retard when I get on the show. And two, like, I want to see the progress they're making. And, and watching him and all the things that's going sort of against him. I was watching him wash his bike after the first moto. You know, um, Johnny Hill did step in and help him some throughout the day. I think he ended up pit boarding for him and stuff yeah. like that. But I really hope he gets to come back next year and, and race another season. And I think we're going to see him continue to progress as time goes on with that being because he's going to be more comfortable. He's going to know, okay, I know how to get to this racetrack. You know, right now he's just relying on Google, just hoping for the best and he's just driving there. And I think, I think there's some guys that have taken him under his wing. Um, I always try to stop in at least once through the weekend and just check on him and make sure he's not in full scramble and, you know, doesn't know what to do or whatever it is. So, um, I hope he gets to come back next year. Yeah, I hope so good. too. I hope so too. I mean, you have to remember that that's a guy that uh, was recently, um, you know, was recently a dirt bike rider and came from, came from, uh, you know, Europe is, is here kind of 
on his lonesome by himself, figuring out all this for the first time. And I saw that, I saw that, um, Johnny was, was pitboarding for him or whatever. And I thought to myself, okay, so if Wesley doesn't go out, is he just by himself? Like, does he not have a pit board or anybody yeah. at the gate or whatever? Like I, I did think that I'm like, man, this poor guy, like I know that guys are stepping up and in, in, in helping him out as much as they can. And, um, you know, kind of putting their arm around him. but I'm like, man, like to do this all by yourself, basically, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine just Casey plug, plug us in Europe by ourselves with a quad and a van. Like I, I can't even imagine. No, you're completely lost. And you know, maybe we're soft. Like, cause I know the old school guys used to go do that. Brian Hughes, you know, Mike Healy, I've listened to a lot of their podcasts that these guys talked about and they pretty much did this stuff that he's doing right, right now, but they, yeah. did, they did have a little bit more, I think of a support team, like where he's literally doing it on a, relatively you know reality budget he's living in airbnbs and and traveling around the country and uh, i just i i can't say it enough i hope he comes back next year because i think he's going to get the rewards that he was looking for in his first season by coming back for the second season and kind of knowing a little bit more he's made some friends now he's not he's not nearly and this sounds really bad he's not nearly as awkward as he was at the start of the season and I don't mean sure. that in any disrespect, but like he he's fitting in, he's, he's there, he's hanging out with everyone. Like he's made friends. I think um, he was actually staying in Wesley Whoops motorhome. So, like, you know what I mean? Like he's making a home here in the States racing our national series. And so, I mean, if, if he's listening, I hope he comes back. Yeah, I hope so too. I know he's a listener. So um, VTech, we definitely want to see you back. Congrats on an awesome weekend, putting it in the top 10. That's, 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 Great, great result at Loretta's for him. Um, finishing out the pack, then Cesar Jimenez was 11th. I think that he was maybe battling some bike stuff. Uh, Michael Allred, who suffered a mechanical failure in Moto One, he ended up 12th overall. Zach Harris was back and, and finished 13th overall. And then Wesley Wolf didn't start either Moto after his scary incident in qualifying, of course. Uh, Casey, I want to ask you a couple questions before we get out of here. So, um, with a 22 point gap and, and two motos remaining, Chad Weenan, uh, wins that eighth title 99 times out of hundred at Briarcliff. Um, that part is obvious. So what would Chad Weenan tying Gary Denton's record mean to you? The, the record that Gary set in 1994, what would that mean to you? This is a hot button topic because anytime I reference this in one of the posts, you'll have 10 guys hop on and say, it's not the same. It's, you know, they used to race TT and motocross and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and Gary Denton did it consecutive years. And I understand all that, but there's also factors in today's racing that maybe make it more difficult as well. So I wanted to ask somebody that's been around for as long as you have and, and so plugged in like you are, what would it mean if Chad Weenan won that eighth title um, at Briarcliff, something that we expect to happen for him? Um, I think it solidifies this era and it, and it goes back and I'm sure I got a bunch of buddies that are old school guys in this sport and stuff and this is going to piss them off, but at the same time, yes, they did GNCC and they did TT and they did motocross and stuff like that. We don't really have – I mean, I guess we have those options, but we don't have to do that now. They had to do that back then, and we're not in that position. They're not making us do, you know, multiple different disciplines. These guys are focusing solely on one discipline. You can't take Joel Hedrick and Chad Weenan and go put them in a GNCC now and expect them to win. 
You're not going to take Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, and those guys and put them in an ATV motocross and expect them to win. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen some of those guys come over and race with us. We've seen Joel Hedrick and Chad Wienan and Max Linkwitz go race GNCCs. And when Max goes and races GNCCs, he's not even racing the XC1 class. He's racing, you know, an, an underclass where Chad and Joel, they're going there racing XC1. And, I mean, they're finishing, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 12th, somewhere in there. So the disciplines are different. These guys are specialists in their discipline. So, for me, I think it solidifies the error of this ATV motocross right now. And it's not taking anything from Gary. Gary's a bad dude. Tim Farr's won a, a million championships. You know, all these guys are legends. But I think it's going to add some of the prestige that we've been sort of lacking to bring us into what we need and to bring Chad to be one of the greatest of all time. So my my interest in it would be to see what the reaction would be if Chad was to win nine titles. I agree. The part that stands out to me, you know, you look at the list of champions and you see Gary and his eight all in a row there. And then you see all the legendary names, you know, Tim Farr and Gust and, and Jeremiah. And, and then you get closer, you know, and, and it's Wimmer and guys that won multiple, you know, in, in more recent years, John Natale was around for all those years, all that stuff. And then you see Chad Weenan, you know, seven and nine years, as we see now, it could end up being eight and 10. And it's like, you saw all those legendary names and none of those guys were able to really even come close to anything like that. And then you see Chad Wienan do it. And it just feels like the, the second coming of Gary Denton And that, I mean, man, when people look at that list, just like we're looking at now, whether it's 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years from now down the road, this decade of Chad Wienan, you know, really dominating. And it's not like he was by himself either. Like he was racing guys like Joel Hattrick that were, that were gnarly and winning tons and tons of races um, just what he's done is amazing. And if he gets to eight, uh, which again, we presume will happen, that'll be impressive. And then, yeah, like, like you said, like if he's able to get to nine, man, I, I wonder what they'll say then. I, I just feel like there's some of those old school guys that you're never going to convince that, uh, that what Chad's doing is legitimate or whatever. And, and rightfully so. I mean, that's their era. This is our era. And, yeah. you know, we're always going to argue that, our era is better than the last era or that era, you know, those guys are going to argue their era was better than this era. And I mean, it goes back to Roger DeCoster and Rick Johnson and those guys back to the dirt bike side, you know what I mean? But think about the names that Chad's had to beat in championships, Dustin Wimmer, Josh Kramer, Joe Bird, John Natale, Joel Hetrick. I mean, that's Tim Farr, you know, Shane Hitt, you know, that's the same list of guys just in, this era of racing so you know you yep. can't take anything from either one of them um you know obviously chad's going to come back and try to compete for a ninth title and mm-hmm. i think you know that's something that is presumably you know a possibility for chad and mm-hmm. and i hope he does come back and battle for that it's pretty obvious he's gonna he's he has made no mention of retiring and and he shouldn't he's still at the top of the game and one of the elite guys in the sport this is the thing. A decade ago, you would have said, we all would have said, nobody ever gets close to Gary Denton. And here we are. You know, that, and, that's, 
That's the amazing part. The fact that we're having the conversation itself is amazing. He's he's presumably going to tie the record. It's incredible. Yeah, and and it's exactly like we would have never even thought of that. And to think that it was going to be Chad Weenan, knowing yes. Chad as long as I've known Chad, mm-hmm. for him to be where he's at and as consistent and learn and, and been taught or, you know, taught himself how yeah. to be a champion and do it so many times. And consistency does it. Chad was not a consistent guy. Chad <laughs> was a ticking time bomb every time he was on the track for, for years. And so seeing that, whether it was him joining the blood crew, you know, was it, was it him, you know, getting serious injured in 2012, you know, there was 11. a lot of years or 11. Yeah. So there's a lot of years that were before that, that led Chad to this. If Chad mm-hmm. would have figured out this maturity and this consistency and this racecraft in 2009, we could be talking yeah. about 11 championships right now or mm-hmm. already 10 championships or whatever it was because of all this. And, and he was in form, you know, he was a championship contender in 2011 you know, he won his first title in 2012. So, you know, he broke his back in 2011. John Italian ended up winning the championship. You know, those two were swapping points back and forth. That series was going to come to the last race. Whether I really like it or John really likes it or Chad really likes the way it went down. Obviously, me and John liked the way it went down, not because Chad was injured. John was injured also. So, you know, the tempers can flare on that. There was so many politics and so much stuff that went on that year but to go back i mean if he would have figured out this racecraft i think that's the easiest way to say it if he would have figured out his racecraft earlier in his career we could be talking about a completely different situation we could be talking about a guy that is 12 championships in right now so to try to take anything away from that because it's not the same era of racers is complete nonsense yeah, there's so many what ifs. I mean, you're you're referencing the Can Am years, and uh, Chad said that you know he was ready to win on that machine, if uh, you know he was winning races. But I mean, he was ready to win a championship had he not got hurt, gotten hurt. Go even previous to that, and he said that you know the the year where he was on Kawasaki, they finally figured that thing out. He's winning races. He said they were ready to win a title on that thing the next year, and then that effort closes. I mean, think about how history could have totally changed. Yeah, he could have more titles, but it could have changed the whole landscape. I mean, maybe Kawasaki would have stayed in it if they're winning, you know, winning championships or whatever, stayed in it longer. I mean, who knows? So there's so many what ifs, but uh, again, the fact that he's in this that it looks like he's going to tie Gary Denton's record is amazing. And who knows what he goes, what happens going forward. But the fact that we are where we, where we are and he continues to get better and all these things, it's, it's honestly, it's incredible. What he's done this season uh, is amazing. I just didn't think he was going to grab another gear like he did. So uh, we can have a complete show on not just this topic, but just talking about the Kawasaki era race days and, and how close they were to, consistently winning races the KM, you know how they came from basically not being able to finish races to winning championships um you know and suzuki still winning championships and pulling the plug i mean that that's a show one day that we can have and we can get some guys that you know both of us know very well on the show and we can all kind of talk about it together and be excited yeah, that's what we need to do for sure. And I look forward to that. Okay. So Bryce board, uh, we talked about this a little bit, 
Uh, I'm just going to ask you parting parting question here with that. So Bryce Ford is eight points up on Jeffrey Rastrelli with uh, for that third podium spot in the series point standings. What does Jeffrey have to do to finish the season ending points in the top three for the first time since 2016? I have to imagine, and he's got, again, we touched on it earlier. He's got to have a perfect day. And I think that that, man, that, that might mean he can't even finish third. Honestly, uh, he might need to get some good starts and have some kind of renaissance ride even more than we've seen this season. Because like you said, if you're third, fourth, fifth, I mean, th- those positions don't have enough points in between them. His perfect day might mean he needs to get a whole shot and finish second or something. Yeah. Or a couple moto wins. And, and Jeffrey's one of those oh, guys that has course. the seed to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's got to beat Bryce by quite a few. And so finishing third, fourth isn't going to be what it takes. So he definitely needs a couple, you know, seconds. I think if he went 2-2 two, two and Bryce went 4-4, four, four, I think it would tie them in points if I'm, yeah. if I'm correct. Because I, yeah, I, I think, think that would right. end up being eight points. And so I don't know who wins the nod there. I think it would come down to best overall finishes throughout the year, which is going to be damn near a tie again. So, right. um which would be cool. I, it'd be interesting and exciting to see it come down to a dramatic fashion like that. Um, you know, the forward camp obviously doesn't agree with that, um, but the Rastrelli <laughs> camp does. So, you know, that's why we're going racing. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the end result until we get there and we get through the day. Hey, look at the world we're living in right now that we got these battles throughout the, the series points. I love to see it because that's something, you know, when we're just slotting Chad, Joel and Thomas in, you know, the podium spots every weekend, like we have in years past, um, we would love to be in a world like we're living in right now. So this is awesome. Okay. So we referenced this, this is kind of my, my last, um, pro class question here for you, Casey, Nick Janusa moved up into the top five in the, in the pro class points this week, somewhere he's always been when the seasons ended, we touched on this a little earlier in the episode. Uh, he's never finished outside the top five in a championship points season. Um, at the end of the season there. So here comes Max Linquist though. As soon as Nick Janusa gets in the top five, don't look in your rear view because here comes Max Linquist, only two points back now after consecutive podium finishes. Whoever ends up beating the other at Briarcliff could very well be the one that gets that top five spot. So who you got, red hot Max Linquist or the always steady Nick Janusa, I got, I had to get, I had to put you on the spot at least once in this episode, Casey, uh, who are you going to take if it comes down to those two for that top five spot? Cause that's, what's going to happen. I'm going to go Wiley veteran. Okay. Janusa. He's never right in his entire pro career. He's never finished outside the top five in you're, overall you're exactly points. Right. Yeah. He's I mean, always been, he's always been fourth or fifth. And that's where my gut goes to as much as I, as much as I, I, I mean, I pull, I pull for max, you know, he's and in max is so hot right now. I mean, I know coming two podiums. I mean, he, he can't get his head in the trailer right now. So I know, I that's know. a tough one to do, but I'm going to go with history repeats itself. And, and Nick comes out top five. He finds out a way, finds a way to do it. I, I, I think, and again, as much as I always cheer for max, I pull for him, all those things, but, uh, Janus has always done it. He's always done it, you know? So it's yeah. just hard to, it's hard to see it not happening, but we'll see it's, they're going to settle it on the racetrack and that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. We um, might but, see history. I mean, you know, yeah. that's, hey, that's a tough say, one. And 
saying Max is red hot doesn't even do it justice. I think he's white hot right now because yeah, man, he's not he's he's on fire. Um, okay, so that was that was the the complete coverage of our pro class there. I love how we broke it down. I feel good about that. Before we wrap up, let's cover some of the other classes here quickly from Loretta's as well. Starting with pro am, uh, we saw some great racing again between Bryce Ford and Zach Decker, specifically in the second moto there. And and Zach confirmed that he's going to go pro in 2022. Casey. Yeah, you know, it was funny because when we were uh, recording the last show, I was like, why wouldn't he go pro? Yeah. And so I text Jason during the show, hoping to get a quicker response than I got. Just Mm -hmm. I I, I tend to do that while we're doing this so I can kind of get some answers and be 100% confident in them. And Jason texted me well after we were done recording and he said, well, we're not 100% sure if he's going to make the jump pro. We want to make sure that he's going to be ready 100% and consistently in, say, the top seven. And my response was, he's definitely ready. What are you waiting for, in a sense, um, mm-hmm. to to them? Because I feel like Zach is ready. I mean, his speed is very good. He's battling, you know, with Bryce, race after race right now. Um, yep. You know, there's days that Bryce has another step that, that Zach doesn't. But we're talking about six, eight months from now where um, Zach Decker needs to be. He doesn't need to be there necessarily right this minute. He's got some time to progress. Um, and this weekend, I mean, there was another one. Those guys battled, you know, Bryce, you know, didn't have the best of starts in the second moto. And, you know, he battled with Blair Miller for a while, which was impressive to see out of Blair. He was riding to a level that I expect from him. I know his parents expect that level from him. And I think it was good for Blair to see that number four in his rear mirror and all over him and proved to himself, like, look, you just held off a guy that's third place in points in the pro class for, I think, four, three, four, five laps. I don't know exactly the lap count, but, I mean, they battled for a while. And, you know, Bryce got around him. Bryce did exactly what I expected. He said, here, let me show you this wheel real quick and, and move Blair out of the way. 100% clean especially with the way the track was laid out you're gonna have to bump and move and that's what those guys are doing so uh blair learned a lot from it and then he proceeded to run down zach and and make a move on zach and it was just some silly mistakes on zach's part but that's fine like he's so young and he's learning so much and by bryce racing oh it's actually making uh you know like blair and uh zach decker and joseph chambers and you know, when Aaron was in there, you know, unfortunately Aaron's been hurt, but when they were in there racing against him, they're learning what one of the top guys are doing. So no, I think um, the move to pro for Zach is definitely the right move. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Um, that's a guy that he, he wants to get on the podcast here. I'm thinking we're going to maybe get him on next week to talk about some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, that was a great second moto to, to watch there. Um, incredible racing there in pro-am and yeah, I think we kind of heard his plan though, a little bit already that his plan is to do what Bryce did this year, that, that Zach's going to go back and and do the pro-am thing next year. And, and the plan is to do the pro class as well. So, um, to be on that Bryce Ford model, like Bryce is doing this year. And that makes so much sense. I mean, Zach, if he was just out there racing by himself, 
um, you know, ahead of the pack, like you would be if Bryce wasn't out there, that would, we'd see minimal growth maybe, um, then in compared to what we're seeing now. I mean, Bryce is teaching Zach things that can only be taught being in a race situation between the two of them. So, um, awesome situation, awesome learning experience for Zach to be out there with Bryce. And, uh, and Bryce even said to me, he said to me at the beginning of the weekend, he doesn't care about the championship. He said, if Zach could have the, the, the title that that'd be fine. I just am out there for practice for seat time for more racing experience. And we're trying to figure out this Yamaha that's right from Bryce Ford's mouth. He doesn't care about the pro-am championship. Zach can have it. He said, so, um, love well, to hear that. Love to see that, but that's, go a, ahead. I mean, I, I believe Bryce in that sense. Um, in, and in that case, like I'd say, okay, then Bryce, if you don't really care about it, then sit Briarcliff out, give the championship to Zach. But sure. I, I honestly, knowing and knowing Jason Decker, he wouldn't let Zach go up there and accept that championship. Like that's how hardcore Jason is. So sure, um, yep. Bryce, don't sit out Briarcliff, please race <laughs> and let this thing come down because there's only nine points separating those two right now. That could go either way. We've seen Bryce actually have a pretty rough Sunday. If you think about it, because he did race pro stock, I think he made a total of four laps in pro stock, um, flipped over twice, you know, once in each moto. Um, so I hope Bryce comes back for Briarcliff and races pro stock. I think it'll be a benefit. I'd love to see him out there. And, you know, I, I, I know Bryce isn't going to sit out Briarcliff, but I want to see those two battle it out. And there's a position here with the throwaway and stuff that, you know, this thing could still go to Zach Decker and, and it would mean so much more if Zach won the championship by beating Bryce Ford to win that championship than if Bryce was just to basically, quote unquote, give him the championship by sitting it out. But, you know, that's honorable of Bryce at the same time to say, you know, I don't care about the championship. I'm using this for development and racing against a guy that is fast enough to race me very hard. And that's what Zach Decker is doing. But Zach needs to wear that, wear that big on his shoulders that he's racing against a guy hard. A hundred percent. I think what Bryce was doing is talking through me to the fans out there that have been gnarly to Bryce this whole time. <laughs> and I think he wanted, he was basically saying, I don't care about the title. You know, I don't care. I wasn't trying to cherry pick and that's not the right word, but I wasn't racing this pro-am season to win the pro-am title. That's what he was saying yeah. to me. He was going out there to race and get more seat time and do all this stuff on the Yamaha and, and experience some growth. So it's been awesome to watch. Awesome to see. And I guess to tie that whole thing up, it would be boring if Zach Decker was out there alone and we're seeing Zach Decker get better. So the fact that they're out there battling, growing, gaining experience, all these things are two young riders. Um, what Zach went through this year, title or not, or however that all plays out, he's a better rider right now than he was at the beginning of the season. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you yeah. touched on, you touched on pro stock a little bit. Did you see those races at pro stock Casey? I think um, Chad Wienan got the win. Joel Hetrick was second. Nick Janusa was third. Those three went one, two, three. Tell me about pro stock a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was a dog fight. I mean, Chad pulled the whole shot, the first moto. And then, and I think he pulled the whole saw or no, he come out second. Joel made a small mistake. I think Chad got around him, but I mean, there's a dog fight. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know how he does it, but Chad rides that stock machine incredibly. And so does Joel. 
I think Joel almost pushes it too far at times, like watching, being in the tower and actually paying attention and watching the machine and stuff. He's pushing it so hard. I can see him make up, you know, two, three bike lengths on Chad, which is very hard to do in that class. And then all of a sudden he loses it because he, he pushes the bike, I think, almost a little bit too much. Um, I think there were some things going on, maybe mapping-wise or something, in the first moto with Joel. I'm not 100% sure, but I know they kind of made a couple of changes for the second moto. And uh, actually, I don't think Joel ended up pulling the whole shot in the second moto. But Chad, I mean, just rock solid. I mean, he just mm-hmm. he kills that thing. And um, that that's another one of these, these championships that I think is going to come down to – you know, the last moto at the last race here at Briarcliff. So those two, you know, I think they're closing points with, um, you know, some of the turns and events this year. And I think they get a throwaway and stuff like that. Um, it's going to be interesting, but I think Joel's in a, in a position to win that title right now. And I think he wants to go out on a high note. So I think he's going to be revved up for Briarcliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, been a, a class that's been so fun to watch all season long. I love that class. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so the pro sport podium was Brett Musig, Zach Decker, and Blair Miller. Congrats to those guys. Brett won 25 plus ahead of me as well. Uh, Dane Molander, one of your guys, he wrapped up his titles and uh, has graduated into the pro-am and pro sport uh, classes full-time. Neve Shaw won the WMX class. I had a Maddie Trower and um, McKaylee Vantium. Uh, Do you know why time. Andrea wasn't there? What the deal is with Andrea? Well, so uh, I heard... I'm pretty sure that Neve said that Andrea got COVID. I'm pretty sure that that's what I heard. Really? Okay. I'm all, I, I'm almost that, sure of it. I thought I had heard that too, but I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah, I heard that from Neve Shaw on the podium. I mean, that's that's what I heard. So, obviously prayers to Andrea if she is yeah, uh, if she is if she is dealing with that. Uh the 250 classes are 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 just sick. Joey Norris and uh Tino Abatiello got the wins there in the three 250 classes. Styles West uh got some wins per usual. Um anyone else or anything else that that stands out to you you want to touch on Casey as we I, wrap up things from Loretta Lynn's? I did get a text from Ron Jackson. I believe Mason has two of his three classes locked up and has a shot at the third one. So that's pretty good. So I think um, for him, if he can lock up all three championships, you know, he's going to bring it down to the wire there. You know, obviously he cuts on Dane. Dane's got both his championships locked up and he's shooting for pro sport and pro am. And I think Mm -hmm. he's got some pretty big shoes to fill in the sense of going into Briarcliff with the high that he's on with winning so many races this year, doing so well in pro sport early in, in his young career. So, um, I think that's going to be exciting. Yeah. Tons so much good racing right now. So I can't wait to see how all these classes play out and see how all the championships play out and then kind of give that some coverage, um, from Briarcliff there, but awesome. Uh, let's wrap up on that note, Casey. We'll, we'll save some of the further discussions heading into heading into Briarcliff for next week's show, heading into the finale. Uh, but Casey, I can't thank you enough for, for making some time for us here. while on your family trip. That means so much to me. Yeah, I appreciate it, Cody. And uh, the family just come downstairs here and met up with me. Bub's right here with me. So nice. um, exciting. Um, I appreciate you having me and making this thing happen early this morning because um, we got, you know, a full day planned here to try to go out with, you know, having so much rain yesterday and that kind of stuff. So we're going to get some get some exciting 
activities for the kids today. So uh, we'll talk next week and get the, the preview show for the season finale. Yeah, go have some fun. I obviously love the the, the Gatlinburg area there. And I, one last thing I want to touch on, Casey, as far as Impact Solutions goes, um, man, I had one of my one of my sets of shocks refurbished by you guys at Impact Solutions there heading into Loretta's. And guys, I kid you not, they look brand spanking new now. Um, they're working some magic over there at Impact Solutions. So, Casey, your guys slated. I said the same thing to Jay when I saw him over the weekend. But, uh, man, incredible work. And I can't thank you guys enough, obviously, for being part of the show but all always um, supporting me and treating me like royalty as well. I mean, impact solutions is the place to go for anything uh, suspension related. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And that comes down to the guys in the shop that are there all the time, because I'm always on the road trying to come to the races and out testing and doing the things that I need to do to try to provide the best stuff that I can provide for our customers. But yeah, Dustin and Tyler, I mean, can't say enough about those two guys. I, we sat and talked a little bit at the race about our process of just how we clean suspension. And we've invested in a machine to help us clean. Plus, we're putting the time with, you know, Q-tips and all this little stuff, just prepping the shocks before we'll even open the shops up. We don't want any contaminants to get in there. We don't want anything to bypass each other. And so that's, you know, we've treated it and you know tyler and dustin they keep the shop looking like a laboratory all the time one day we'll have to do like a short video of just what the shop is like and um, jay Jay has put us in a facility that is above so much i mean it's incredible from the truck shop to the shock side of it to the offices i mean our our facility has just come so far and we have it's been really i'm i'm very blessed to be put in a position to succeed and i feel like as a company for impact solutions and you know with all of our customers i'm very thankful that i've been given the tools that i need to try to try to succeed and and get us to where we need to be yeah well as a rider uh, i'm blessed to have impact solutions on my side having been an impact solutions rider for so many years now Digging Deep is blessed to have, you know, Impact Solutions and you backing us and, uh, you know, credit to those guys in the shop. But Casey, you're the man. Thanks so much for everything. Thanks, Cody. We look forward to it. Thanks to Blenders Eyewear. Use discount code DiggingDeep20 at BlendersEyewear.com. Thanks to Impact Solutions and Casey Greek. And on that note, that's a wrap on the 38th running of Dirt Days at Loretta Lens. Thanks again, Casey, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? See you, Cody. Thanks, pal. As the number one podcast in ATV racing, it's only right that we partner with the industry leaders in suspension tuning. Insert Impact Solutions. Impact Solutions is a full-service ATV and side-by-side suspension center specializing in the revalving and service of your motocross and off-road suspension. With over 25 years of elite-level knowledge, experience, and testing with riders of all ages and ability levels, Casey Greek, Jay Goble, and the Impact crew strive to exceed clients' expectations for service and setup. Impact Solutions is the official Elka Suspension Service Center of the United States, offering unmatched product knowledge and experience. Whether you're in need of service, parts, warranty, sales, or technical support, Impact Solutions has you covered. Head over to impactsolutionsatv.com or give them a call today. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. The following message is brought to you by Manscaped.com. 
the Manscaped engineering team has outdone themselves this time, creating the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, now available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, an official sponsor of the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast, with this exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I am blown away. This thing is next level. What sets this trimmer apart from all the rest? The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. It features a new multi-functioning on-off switch with travel lock for those of us who like to travel. And my favorite, the new trimmer allows you to customize your trim with four different guard lengths and upgrade from its predecessor that only featured two. If you're listening, you know that good tools are a must, so wait no more to get the best tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20. The Digging Deep ATV MX podcast is also sponsored by DP Brakes, a longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology. DP has been dominating the ATV world for decades, supporting the best four-wheeled racers on the planet. 2021's impressive lineup includes Joel Hetrick and Jeffrey Rastrelli of the Phoenix Racing Team, myself, Cody Jansen, and my back-to-back national championships, Baldwin Motorsports, Ford Brothers Racing, Nick Janusa, Wesley Wolf, and many more, including all of the top 14 GNCC Series pros, led by the champ Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, Cole Richardson, Jared McClure, and Chris Borich. These top riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them on the top of the podium. Available at www.dp-brakes.com, purchase at your local dealer, or message the show for their contact info today. What are you waiting for? Join the best ATV riders in the world on DP Brakes. 15 years into the brand's existence, Factory 43 is back with us and continuing to make huge waves in the ATV world. For the second consecutive season, Factory 43 is the official aluminum parts choice of the Phoenix Racing ATV team, providing their state-of-the-art Evo Nerf bars, MX-style front bumpers, and grab bars for some of the fastest riders on the planet. If you're in the market to upgrade your Nerf bars, bumpers, or grab bars, head over to factory43atv.com to see their full line of products available for all makes and models. Want to be just like Joel Hetrick and Jeffrey Rostrelli riding with Factory 43's industry-leading products? Head over to factory43atv.com today. Bikes, Trikes, and Quads LLC has been supplying riders with aftermarket components from the industry's top brands for over a decade. With over 80,000 products in stock for your ATVs, UTVs, metric and HD motorcycles, dirt bikes, and snowmobiles, Bikes, Trikes, and Quads LLC can tend to all your power sports needs, from hard parts to riding gear. Bike Strikes and Quads also offers hard-to-find used parts for your vintage dirt bike, ATV, three-wheeler, or snowmobile. Use discount code ATVMX at www.btqllc.com for 10% off of orders of $100 or more. We're grateful to have Bike Strikes and Quads LLC digging deep with us. Thank you, BTQ LLC. We are proud to be partnered with Gripped Gloves. Gripped is an ATV rider owned and operated brand with a rider in mind and the goal of keeping costs affordable. The Michigan-based family operation recognizes riders' desire to showcase their identity. 
Owner David Payne's love for eccentric colorways and crazy patterns shows in his product something not often found in the work of big manufacturers. Here to push stereotypes and limitations, Grip's drive is to produce a glove with cool colors and designs that won't break the bank. With comfort and quality as key motivators, the Family Affair is constantly working on the next more innovative and improved glove. Get a grip on life, join the Gripped movement, because no one wants a bland glove. Check them out today at grippedgloves.com, that's G-R-I-P-T gloves.com, and use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save at checkout. Just like the sport of ATV motocross as a whole, our Digging Deep community is brought together by the love for racing that we all share. Our sport is compiled of many great people, and leaving that charge is the Launderville family at Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. This racing-owned family business is a steel and concrete supplier serving the entire United States. Launderville Steel is a full-service steel supplier of new and surplus steel, aluminum, and stainless steel products headlined by the 4130 chromoly tubing and plate used in the building of chassis for ATVs and UTVs, off-road truck racing, late model dirt and pro tractor pulling series, drag racing, and more. Launderville Steel loves their racing just as much as we do, but don't forget about their concrete division as well. With over 25 years of experience, the concrete division can supply everything you need to complete your next business or personal project. Their central Midwest location enables LSE to easily serve customers across the United States. For a quote, additional info, answers to more of your questions, or to talk a little racing, head over to LaundervilleSteel.com or give them a call today. We are proud to be partnered with yet another racer-owned company. Thank you, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. Thanks for listening, and remember to support our partners. Now back to the show. All right, guys, this next guest is someone I've been wanting to get on for a while now, and after a stellar weekend at Loretta's, there couldn't be a more perfect time to get him on. Brought to you by our friends at Rocky Mountain ATVMC, your one-stop shop for parts, gear, and everything in between. Click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com today for all your gear and parts needs and to help us out. This guy and I went pro at the same time. We raced each other for years and years. And we're back lining up against each other once again here in 2021. Say hello to Mr. Brett Music. Brett, welcome back to Digging Deep. Welcome to Digging Deep, I should say. First time. Hey, Cody. I, I definitely appreciate you having me on. And like I said, I'll, I always listen to it every week. So it's definitely pretty cool being on the podcast finally. You know, so when I went to message you to extend the offer to come on the show here, I was reminded that you messaged me after Digging Deep's very first episode saying that it was fun to listen to Chad and myself. So first of all, thanks to uh, to you for the kind words dating back to day, day one. Uh, thanks for being a listener. And most of all, thanks for being a guest tonight. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. That's no problem at all. It definitely, I mean, it, it makes the race trips traveling to them. It definitely passes some time for sure. And it lets you know a lot of history about it, a lot of different things. And it's definitely pretty cool to be on and always listen to for sure. You know, hopefully, um, hopefully it makes people like more excited for the races too. Like, I feel like the more context and uh, stuff like that, it just makes it more exciting. So hopefully we're, we're kind of fueling people's fire there. Um, so, so kind of like I said already, so you and I, um, have, almost always been connected. I feel like even though you're a little younger than me by like four, four years or so, uh, we went pro at the same time and our race programs, I always felt like at least we're kind of comparable to each other. The odds were stacked against us. Um, you know, even like when we were kind of coming up, I feel like there was more teams and stuff like that. And at the beginning, like 
I don't, I don't think that either of us were a part of that kind of thing. We were kind of just doing things within our means and, um, but we were still out there doing the pro class gig and, and probably living out a lifelong dream. Does that make sense on kind of how I'm saying that there? I feel like, um, you know, we had similar programs for a lot of years. And, and with that, I felt like I kind of had a connection to you. Oh yeah. I agree with you for sure. Uh, I guess starting out, I, I kind of started on the media all-star team. It was more of when I was uh, the, my first year of B class. And uh, it was Chase Cunningham and George Cortez, best group of guys you can possibly deal with for sure. And I, mm-hmm. I think that helped me getting started because, I mean, they George and then they really pushed social media. And uh, But other than that, I mean, I've been, like I said, kind of like you, just kind of always doing our own thing and mm-hmm. – so I always went from there with it. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the media all-stars thing was kind of before it's time. I mean, that was, uh, like the social media and stuff that was at the very beginning of all this. So, so that was kind of before it's time. And at the end of your kind of pro career, I know you were doing the Coster thing, um, in the middle of there, didn't you, didn't you ride for Chad early in your pro career at one point? I mean, I know it wasn't like a ride for Chad type deal, but didn't you ride out of Chad semi for one season? Wasn't that a thing? Yeah, I think maybe in 15. I think my was first that? year. Yeah, I think it was 15. My first year of pro, I, my uncle Scott Ellis, he uh, mm-hmm. he helped me more than I could have imagined my first year. It was, I think, I guess in 2014. He started helping me in 2013. Okay. And uh, we, had, we had a good couple years there, and uh, he. He, he bought a couple quads for me and just absolutely decked everything out. So, I mean, without him, I definitely don't think any of this would really even be remotely where it's been over the years. And uh, then is in it, 2015, we went under Chad's tent for a little is bit. It, isn't it, isn't it funny how like, it's like these little, little things happen and they lead you on this path to where you are today. It's crazy how all that works, but tell me about that Chad thing. Cause I was always curious what that was like, um, to race under, under that kind of umbrella there. And I know, I mean, that was kind of the early days of this new Yamaha. I think like riding the Yamaha then wasn't like riding one now or whatever, but tell me what that was like to ride, uh, I guess underneath the, the Wienan motorsports tent at that time. I mean, the Chad, just to start out, Chad's an absolutely great guy. I mean, still to this day, I mean, if I see him in the pits, he, he's the most respectful and mm-hmm. about the best role model you could ask for, for sure. And uh, I definitely respect him for that. But, I mean, that year, it was kind of a rough year. I mean, it the year before that, I hurt my back, and that was my first year back after that. And we jumped on the new machine, and it was just kind of a struggle. I mean, it – the quad itself was great. It's just my whole life I've been on PEP shocks and uh, it, okay. we kind of swapped it up that year and went to Fox. And like I said, not saying anything bad about any other products. They work great for, you can see Chaz won how many championships on them. I mean, great <laughs> things. Right. It's just, I guess for certain riders, it's def- different feels of the suspension and everything. And I think that was a big part of what I didn't like about the quad. Okay. But the uh riding for chad itself i mean it was great we i went down south a little bit over the winter to train with him and stuff and just what you learn off i mean it really is it's a it's a great experience for sure 
Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I was just curious to kind of ask about that. I, I remember back to that time and some of the conversations that we had, you know, back then, and it was, there was an adjustment period. And, and I knew that maybe um, that machine didn't jive with you the way that you were used to. Um, but still like riding underneath that umbrella had to be had to be something special. So that's why I wanted to touch on that. But but that year wasn't all bad. I mean, you had back to back sixth place finishes in 2015. I think it was Crawfordsville and um, Sunset Ridge, I believe. And you had some more sixth place finishes, uh, you know, the rest of your, your pro career, but I believe that would have been your best finish in the pro class, right? It was sixth place. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, uh, mm-hmm. I know back in, I can't remember what year it was one year we went to monster mountain. I think the year after weaning and, uh, I was back on the Honda then and I, I qualified great. And that was actually my first ever pro hole shot. Uh-huh. And I can't, uh-huh. I can't remember if I was around, I know I was around the top five, and dag on both motos, I'm pretty sure the last lap of both motos I broke down. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so yeah, not- why I wanted to touch on, on that was, um, and I've said this a number of times on these shows, so you'll have heard me say this before, but like sixth place feels like you won when, when you're like a normal dude, you know? And, uh, and it's funny how that works because, um, hopefully digging deep is filling some of those holes, uh, and giving some people some coverage, but otherwise like you get sixth in the pro class, you come back to the pits, you feel like you won, but to like the general public, like they don't even know what happened, you know, like nobody's watching sixth place. Hopefully we're adding some of that coverage. Um, but, but yeah, I feel like that's something that you celebrate as a rider, but nobody else even knows it's happening when you have an awesome finish, like sixth place, like that's legit, especially with how stacked some of those classes were in those years. Oh, oh yeah, it was definitely, I mean, anytime you finish up there on that position, it definitely is a great feeling. And mm-hmm. that's like the Michael Allred, um, that you guys got on a couple of weeks ago. I, I was pumped to death to see Mike up front at Unadilla. Right. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> that, that, that's just the same type of thing. I mean, for us guys, me, you, like Mike, us getting a top six. I mean, that's a definitely a great day for sure. It, hey, working, working class hero, just the blue collar guy out there grinding. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely some fun for sure. Yeah. So, um, so my last season in the pro class was 2017 and that was basically yours too. Uh, you lined up a few times in 2018, but for the most part, we hung up our pro class boots at the same time. Uh, so I wanted to touch on your fondest pro class memory and you might've already touched on it because I was going to ask you if, if, um, if ripping that whole shot at monster mountain in 2017 was a highlight, maybe it wasn't after, uh, you know, you ran up front all day, but suffered those, those, uh, mechanics like you just referenced. Um, but when I think about your pro class career in those sixth place that you had on the Yamaha earlier, always stood out to me, especially Walnut for some reason, Sunset Ridge. Um, but that whole shot, I, like those pictures are burned in my mind and I was on the racetrack too, but seeing the pictures of you ripping that whole shot at monster mountain is kind of burned into my memory. So if I asked you your, your fondest pro class memory, what would you tell me? Uh, I would say for sure that Monster Mountain weekend was the fondest. I, I was just going to mention that picture, too. I think it has a picture of me pulling the whole shot. I think I know for sure it was Hedrick, and I'm pretty sure Weenan and Natalie and all of those guys were in the shot right behind me in, like, the second or third turn. And like I said, it was a great day until the last lap of each moto. <laughs> it, I was like, if it was going to break down, I wish it would have at least done it 
kind of in the beginning or halfway and not the bag <laughs> on the very last lap. <laughs> right. Like it baited you in, like you were going to, like, this was going to be finally the day, put the thing in the top five and then, uh, and then tragedy strikes. Um, what I was going to ask though, is I can't believe you didn't get more hole shots, Brett, because you're like a hole shot machine. I feel like you always were. Um, and, and I couldn't believe that you didn't get more. Yeah. Honest to God in that, like, Pro-Am, uh, every single class I run, I'm usually always up front. Yeah. But yeah. I, I was, I don't know if it was where I was younger or what, but in the pro class, I was always just kind of timid. I didn't really seem like I want to pull a whole shot at without those up front guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish it wasn't like that. I feel like if I get in there now, I could definitely yank some starts. But uh, right. it, it was just kind of a mental thing, honest to God, it really was. Isn't it funny how that works though? Because when, when you're like not expecting to race like up front, I don't know how else to say that, but I mean, I, I would have went through the same thing. It's like, you just don't get starts. And then as soon as you expect to be up front, I mean, you can even look at the dudes that whole shot the pro class. Now, like the guys that are up front are the guys that are going to finish up front. Like they expect to be up front. And uh, it's just funny how that works. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I mean, when you, if you pull a whole shot and you have Joel Hetrick and Chad Weenan and all those guys <laughs> right behind you, it, it's a def, different feeling for sure. It's right. a few people. I mean, it's, it's different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So one of the, one of the reasons why I was so excited for this conversation um, was I think like you and I can probably speak on, on this subject because of our experiences being so similar. I know that, I guess I, I felt like you were one of the very few people I could have this conversation with. And I felt like we were going to be on the same wavelength. So at the end of 2017, um, I ended up, you know, not racing the pro class anymore. And I was done. I like, I wasn't having fun. I had fallen out of love with the sport. The pro class had basically chewed me up and spit me out. Um, in 2018, when you, you know, raced the pro class for the last time, um, did, did you have like a similar feeling or how was that for you? Yeah, it, I mean, like I said, being in the pro class, it's great. Don't get me wrong, but it's just for the working guy, it's definitely very hard. And uh, like I said, I always, I had a little bit of some back issues was my biggest downfall in the pro class. Cause I mean, th- those long motos, I, I, I honestly got, I hurt for probably three years and it's just now not hurting. <laughs> so, yeah. And it, it's a, I was ready to be over with it for sure. And uh, I would say now coming back and racing the classes I am, I mean, it's, it's probably about the most fun I've had in a very long time racing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, you couldn't have said it any, any better because that's exactly how I felt. And me too. Like I had, I had broken some vertebrae in my back, uh, whatever year that was 2016, maybe. And that was a, a huge proponent in me stepping away too. Like I, it's, it's not that like, I still loved it. But I think that that zapped all the fun out of it for me because I was in so much pain. Like I'd get off the racetrack and I'd have to lay down because my back was hurting so bad. Um, so, so I feel like I can probably um, relate to that as much as anybody. Uh, your saving grace in a lot of those years, though, was you were slaying it in the, the Pro-Am class for most of those years. So I bet that at least like that part was a blast. Even if Saturday sucked, you still had Sunday to look forward to. And you won a lot of races, uh, a couple Pro-Am championships as well, right? Yeah, I won it in 13, I think 2016 also. And uh, the 2016 season, I, I would say all around that was my best and about most dominating season other than my early B class, which is completely different. But I definitely, in 2016, it was a good year for sure. And uh, we, I think we would have won 
maybe the first four to five rounds, but at Crawfordsville, the first or second moto, it was a mud race and we had an electrical issue. And uh, if it wasn't for that, I think if I'm not mistaken, it would have been around the first five rounds of the season. I'm pretty sure I would have won all of those. Okay. Yeah. And I, I remember, um, you know, having to race you in some of, some of that period too, and just how strong you were in the, in the pro-am class at that time. Uh, so, and then when you won in, in 13, I mean, that would have been your, your first full season in the, in the, uh, in the pro-am class, because I was going to ask you about your pro-am debut and we can touch on that in a minute in 2012, but in, in 2013, you won pro-am in basically your first full season, um, you know, in the, in the pro-am class. And that's pretty freaking impressive too. Yeah. I, it, it just basically boiled down to getting good hole shots and I, I wasn't always the fastest, but every single weekend I put myself up on the box for the most, not every weekend, but just the majority of the races that season. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we just strung together some consistent motos and just ended up putting together. And I think we wrapped it up. I want to say maybe a red bud that year. I'm pretty sure I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I think so. so and uh, it's funny how that works because Uh, I guess what stood out to me at that time was like, if you and I saw somebody, you know, jump up from the B class right now and next year he, you know, he wins the pro-am class by being consistent and upfront the whole time, like that would be impressive. Uh, And almost even more impressive than that was like your actual pro-am debut. Uh, And I was going to ask you if you remember that because I sure do. It was 2012 at Loretta Lynn's and you had raced the B class that season. You already touched on that a little bit. Media all-stars, you were super young. Like you must've been 16 or something. And here comes this B rider. And the reason why I remember it so vividly. So Cody Gibson is leading, go figure. Uh, I'm second. And I look back and here you are in third. And I remember thinking, there's no way I'm letting this B class kid beat me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And my actual, my first pro-am race was actually at Unadilla that year. Oh, was it really? Okay. It it was a pro-am unlimited though. It wasn't the pro-am production class. So they used to have both classes. And uh, actually I think, no, my my heat race i think they had a heat race up there and i ended up finishing second and i was going to put it on the podium in the second moto i think I, i'm not a hundred percent sure what it, i ended up place i was in but my cdi box where it mounts to under the hood on the trx okay somehow the bracketed bolt had broke and uh i think there wasn't too many more laps to go and i remember just absolutely launching the sky shot because my quad <laughs> just was sputtering so bad i didn't want to let off the gas and i jumped three-fourths away down that hill oh my gosh dying on me right at the bottom of that hill so it kind of shot the foot in that race that that was actually the first moto because we couldn't get it fixed before the second moto because it messed up our wiring harness and it was a okay it was an ordeal but yeah going back to that that loretta's round though it was i was that was pro-am production that you were talking about right i think it was so maybe was that your first pro-am production race then was that the scoop yeah, that was my first prime okay. production race. Okay, and, so, uh, so that's why I thought that. Yep, that was – I raced from and limited at Unadilla that year, and then at Redbud, I think I got second in that heat race also. And uh, the second moto, I wrecked on that tabletop after the whoop section. I was in maybe fourth that second moto. Okay. And uh, so I probably would have – if everything would have went smooth, hopefully put it on the box there also. Okay. And now that you, now that you say that, I do remember you being in unlimited for, for those couple races before Loretta's and, uh, 
And yeah, so that's, that's what I was thinking. And I, and I remember like, there's some of those photos from Loretta's too, that are burned in my memory. So maybe that's why I was like thinking, um, pro-am debut, but it was really pro-am production debut. But anyway, so talking about that race, finishing that up. So the two lap board comes up, my quad blows up and it was over for me, but for you, you went on to podium that day, right? I think you podium, that was your first pro-am production race. You ended up podiuming and, uh, and, and so you wrap up the B class titles way earlier in the season, you jumped to pro-am made the box almost instantly. And I remember, uh, you know, thinking like this is unheard of like i can't believe that this kid is doing this yeah it was uh i definitely remember <laughs> honestly it's pretty funny my most memorable memorable there i can't even say a word for that memorable uh, weekend. yeah yeah i had a uh a rossier exhaust and it for the try to make sound or whatever okay and uh like you know how the end caps of an exhaust is like fully enclosed off and it would come through the vents i do yeah and i remember those yeah it was that type of exhaust and I didn't realize it. And I swear that race, my quad got so hot. <laughs> it I'm surprised it didn't blow up and it was just running that exhaust. I know, it was just kind of funny to me. It's kind of weird. I guess it was just a funny moment. Right. And, it, lo- uh, it looks, looks like an accordion. <laughs> yeah. It, it was something crazy for sure. But yeah, we, like I said, same difference in that race that we put two motos together and just, I've, I've been pretty good at that. My entire career has been pretty consistent and, uh, just ended up running strong and put it on the box. And it was definitely a great, great way to end that season for sure. I, I can't believe that that was nine years ago. That's incredible. Um, so another, another story I heard from your younger years, and I can't even remember who said this to me and it could totally be a myth, but I needed to, needed to ask it while I have you here. Um, but the story I was told was you had one machine, like we're talking way back, like mini quad days. And in between motos, your dad would pull the 70 CC motor, um, you know, and, and, or I should say you, you would have the 70 CC motor in the machine for the 70 races. And then you'd have to pull it out, swap it out for a 90 motor for the 90 classes, same bike, same weekend. And you were flopping motors. Is there any truth to that? Or was that a, was that a myth that I heard back then? Now, that was actually my 90 and my super mini, my 105. Oh, motor. okay. 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 Sure. Yeah. We would race the 90 mod and then we'd swap that out and put the 105 <laughs> super mini motor in. And but my whole career, even for that day, like, I just want, can't thank my dad enough. I mean, he, my whole career, he's been the one to do all my motor installs. He tears them apart, puts them together and just okay. the whole nine yards and our little 10 by 10 build in front of our house. We, we built a lot of championship motors out of that for sure. And I mean, we would send the heads off and everything and get our head work done. But my dad, he would fully assemble all the motors and all that stuff after working about 60 hours a week at UPS. And he, he definitely put a lot of time into making my career being what it was racing for sure. How cool is that? How, how, uh, talk about dedication, you know, swapping motors and to race certain classes. I mean, that's incredible. Like I, I can't, I can't believe that. That's why I needed to confirm this. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We would, he would swap those and he'd, he'd still race himself too. <laughs> that's so crazy. Yeah. That's the uh, next thing I wanted to touch on is your dad's a great rider himself. Um, and, and you guys doing this together for gosh, however many years, 15, 20 years, whatever it is at this point, uh, how that's the coolest thing to me. So how, how much does that mean to you to be able to still share this, you know, you're 25, he's racing 50 plus, um, to be able to share this with your dad at this point. I mean, that just has 
to be the coolest thing. You know, I can connect because, uh, you know, when I was younger, dad raced locally and so did I. Um, but, you know, now still you guys doing it at a national level all these years later, that has to be the coolest thing. Like, I just, I love that about, about you and your dad still getting uh, able to travel the country and race and do all this stuff. That's so awesome to me. Yeah, it's definitely, it honestly got, it really helped over the years too. Like when I was on a mini quad, he like on our practice track at the house and stuff, he, mm -hmm. he would spot me and try to chase me down. So it'd make me ride hard. And then once we moved up to the four fifties and I got quicker and I could spot him. And even though I was faster than him at the time, I, mm -hmm. I always wanted to go catch him and pass him. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely helped me out. And it was it's awesome for sure. Like at Loretta's this past weekend, I mean, I was on the podium, he was getting ready to race and we, we both had great weekends and it, it, it's always been a good feeling for sure. Having both of us out there and I wish he'd hurry up and retire from UPS and we go and put some more time together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just the, just the fact that you guys share that same passion and are able to share it in a way that you're able to like still ride and, and, um, and, you know, go to the races and both compete and all that stuff. Like that's just so cool to me. Um, so, so yeah, I needed to touch on that. Uh, so you turned 25, uh, this season, which meant you could run the 25 plus class now. And I know, uh, you dabbled a little bit, um, in some of the amateur classes, the last few seasons after stepping down from the pro class. But when I turned 25 and started running 25 plus, I absolutely, you know, re fell in love with the sport. You, you kind of confirmed already you're having the most fun. Maybe you ever did. Um, and, and taking the pressure of the pro class out of the equation made me love the sport literally more than ever. And again, you touched on this, you kind of confirmed this for yourself already. So to me, uh, it seems like you're experiencing something, you know, quite similar to this season to what I did, uh, back then kind of re-falling in love with it and, and, and all that stuff. Like, I feel like, um, I feel like, you know, there's so much pressure of the, the pro class and stuff, but to do it on a little bit lower level now, you know, it's not like when you're young and you have goals of going pro and, uh, that kind of outweighs everything. Um, now when you're doing it just for fun, man, I, I, it's like, I never want to lose this. Like I never want to step away. Like I always want to be able to do it and enjoy it at this level. Oh, I agree with you for sharing it. it. It's always good too, like having you in the class and Zach in the class and Hags, like him coming out. It, it's a blast getting out there and racing with all these guys. And we don't have to go 15 laps anymore, which is a right. definitely a good feeling. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, Exactly. So for me, you know, and this was my fourth season, uh, this season, and I know I was on an abbreviated schedule or whatever, but this is my fourth season after stepping down from the pro class. And, um, so in 2018, Mosher and I battled to the death for that title. And then I won back-to-back -back titles the last two years. But what I absolutely love is throughout, you know, this period of time and, and me kind of being a part of it, um, these last few years and all the other riders that have been a part of it as well. I absolutely love that, you know, 25 plus has become a premier, um, a premier class, one of the absolute gnarliest classes in the sport. And I love that because that's how, that's how the dirt bike world is like to win the 25 plus class on the two wheel side of things is a huge deal. It's, it's comparable to the pro sport um, class and dirt bikes. And you're really seeing that kind of happen with quads. Now, for example, 
just like you said, you, me, Zach Kazmarek, Mitch Reynolds, uh, Davey Hagsma, just this weekend at Loretta's, those are some of the examples of the fast-ass guys in 25-plus this year. In the past few years, I've had to race Nick Mosier, Brad Riley, uh, Nick DeNoble, Chad Reed, Josh Creamer, Michael Allred, I battled for that title that year, Silas Lamons, Johnny Hale, Nico Covey, Richard Pelchat. I mean, the, the list goes on. All those past pros running 25-plus, this class is gnarly, and to win that is a huge deal. The, this class has been transformed into one of the premier ones, and that, that's a cool thing. And then, like you said, um, it's all kind of guys that are in a similar space, right? Like nobody's trying to kill each other. We're trying to all have some fun. Uh, the races aren't too long, um, and, and it's not too hard on our equipment where you're all able to kind of do it within our means. Like 25 plus is badass, and I, it, it is awesome. I mean, um, I just love that the that the the ability level and the quality of the racing is as high as it is. Uh, that's only like, it can't hurt the sport. It's only good, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's like before I turned 25 plus, I mean, the 25 plus class, every single round I would come to, I would come up and watch you guys. Cause I mean, it, it's a, seeing different people come out on all the rounds and it just makes it interesting to say like, Hey, if like you, for instance, if you run all these rounds and Josh Kramer shows up, who's like and he hasn't raced in so long and it's just a great fun class to go and see how everybody still stacks up i mean it really is well in, in this year too brett like it's it's kind of must must watch racing i mean i've been in some of them but you know you and zach and uh there's been you know mitch was there at the beginning of the year davy hagsman now like uh i mean the racing is incredible like just to watch those guys uh to watch fast guys like that like that's that's a fun thing and in 20 uh, 2021, um, you know, obviously has been a great year for you, but Loretta's this past weekend was obviously, uh, the highlight It obviously was with how, you know, perfect of a weekend you had, but one, one in 25 plus ahead of me, I got second. And then, uh, you come out and win the overall in pro sport. That's the first time you've raced any other class. I think this year, other than 25 plus hop into pro sport, the first time win that thing. Tell me about that. Cause it was literally, literally a perfect weekend for you. That had to feel so good. Yes, starting out for sure. It was a great weekend, no doubt about that. And that, uh, I wasn't even going to race pro sport, but the past couple weekends, I've seen you and Zach and everybody get in there. And I've had a little bit of time to train here recently, and I felt like I could go the six laps pretty strong. And uh, it's just the first moto, I just, I was got maybe 15th gate pick, and I was on the way outside. And I came into the first corner, maybe I would say 10th to 12th. And somehow in that next little wood section, I've moved up to almost like fourth place. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I just picked the lucky line or what, but we, uh, we got up to fourth pretty quick. I think I was fourth the first lap and just, I think me and you battled for a couple laps. And I, I think the mud tires at Moto definitely hurt you a little bit. For well, sure. they, they did. I was, I knew I was going to have a bad gate pick because for whatever reason that Loretta's, they go off points. Right. So points. Yep. yeah. Yeah. So I, I, uh, only raced pro sport twice previous to Loretta. So I knew I was going to have a crappy gate pick and I figured, well, my best bet is to go get a good start and, yep. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, hang on from there. And I would have been perfectly fine because, um, I found myself in second there and I know I would have been perfectly fine. I don't know that I would hold on, held on to second, but, uh, but the goggle that I, I put oh, on yeah, social that, media, yep. I remember my, you saying that yep. my, my tab broke off on of my, my goggle lens or whatever. So there went all 15 of my tear offs 
and, uh, and I couldn't see anymore. And I, I wear contacts. So, uh, when the mud gets in there, man, it's, it's miserable. Any contact where oh, would know that. So, um, so I, I was like, you know what, because, you know, I'm, I'm by, you know, you and, and Blair Miller and Zach Decker and all these guys. And I'm like, I can't do this battle. I'm not going to put my, my eyes through that. It just wasn't hundred percent. But, uh, but, but yeah, so you had a, you had a killer moto there and then another good moto in the second moto, uh, put it all together and it ends up being, you know, an overall win. So tell me what that felt like that had to be, had to be incredible. Yeah, it felt great for sure. We, uh, in the second moto, it started out again. I mean, I, I put myself in a good position off the start. I ended up yanking the whole shot. You and, had the, uh, you had the best gate too. I mean, I knew, yep. <laughs> I knew when I saw you go to that gate, I'm like, Brett's got this thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it started out good. And the first lab I hadn't really jumped that triple, but like one time, uh, I think okay. maybe on Friday's practice and uh, Decker passed me on that triple. And, uh, the first two laps, I honestly got, I, kind of hung his speed i think we both put down 147s that second lap and uh i got a good little gap on third the second moto and after that i kind of ran a pace where i could felt like i could make sure i got third or second okay. that moto and third okay. wasn't gonna catch me and i didn't really wear myself out and it it was a good weekend for sure i mean that's been the happiest i've been racing in a while for sure in that pro sport class it felt good to get that overall and just get back out there and uh it, it was a good time racing with the young guys. I'm not sure you like to get out there and mix it out, mix it up with them too. It's a, it's so funny. Uh, cause I, you know, you never think of yourself as an older, as an older dude, right? Like I'm 29 and I still like my, like same with you. I'm sure like your mindset's still like you're like you're 17 or something, you know, but, uh, <laughs> to go out there and race against legit 17 year olds, like these kids, I'm like, man, like, like they got totally different perspective than I do. Um, sometimes I feel like that's good. Sometimes that's bad, but when you're the oldest guy on the line, it's kind of funny. Yeah, that's for sure. And it, it was good to see some numbers in pro sport this weekend. I, I like I said, I think I'm pretty sure I got last gate pick the first moto and I got 15th gate picks. So I know there's at least 15 guys. And- hey, same, same thing at Redbud. I had 18th gate pick in the first moto at Redbud and, and somehow, you know, came out of that whole shot. All right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good to see the numbers up, and that that's what I hate about pro am this year. It seems like when me and you race, we there would be a lot more guys bouncing down, and we would get those numbers up in pro am, and it would definitely be good to if we could figure something out to get some more pro am guys in there. That's definitely a blast to watch that class too, for sure. Yeah, I don't know why it's so different now. Um, because you know, back then, I mean, there was five, six, seven pros in it, you know, us included. Um, and then, a, you know, a bunch of up and coming guys, like, like there'd be, there'd be 16, 17, 18 pro-am guys when we were racing it back then, but they were all gnarly. Like there'd be good guys finishing seventh or eighth, you know? And, and when yeah. you were on, when you were on the podium, man, like that was gnarly, you know, it was, it was not easy to podium. Um, and it almost feels like, like pro sport is like that now, like pro sport is stacked. And then obviously the, the quality of the riding and pro-am is amazing. There's just five guys on the track or whatever it is. Yep. And it, like just my opinion on the class, I mean, it, it's a great stepping stone for pro. Don't get me wrong. It's mm-hmm. just for some of these, like, amateur guys like me and you it's just the long motos if it wasn't that long of a moto mm-hmm. i mean i feel like they, they would get more people jumping in it for sure and if, if no pros are stepping back that honestly in my opinion might be something 
for the series to look into because I know myself if we if Pro-Am was a shorter race I would love to get back out there and race those guys again I mean it it would it's just the working guys like me and you I mean we we both would do great in the class Mm -hmm. it's just for when you don't have time to dedicate yourself and it it, it, it's just something to look into because Pro-Am used to be the I would rather watch Pro-Am than any class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was, that was the lights class of, of, you know, ATV racing. Like that was, that was the next big thing. It's just, it's, it's funny how it's all worked out this year. I don't know what the answer is necessarily. Um, nothing could change and the numbers could totally change next year. Somehow that's, that's how that works. I don't know. Uh, but it'll yeah. be inter- interesting to see how that all goes down. So you get the the win there in pro sport. Uh, did you see Nick Janus's <laughs> comment off the, off the mower and onto, onto the podium? Yeah, that, that made me laugh for sure. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that too. So over the course of the last few years, uh, looks like you've built quite the successful like uh, lawn care, all service type business, um, which is obviously where the the mower um, comment came from, of course. Yeah, it, we I started cutting grass when I was around sixteen. Just kind of, and it was actually for Scott Ellis who helped me win or built those quads for him at yeah. the beginning of the year. Kind of yep. like. I mean, he's our family and everything, but he, we went and I worked for him for the summer and he came out to his first national and, uh, he was hooked ever since after that. So it's kind of pretty cool how he got into the sport, but, uh, it, I mean, grass cutting, it's led me into great opportunities with racing. And now, I mean, it's, uh, I never planned on doing it. I worked for UPS for three years and I ended up quitting UPS last summer and we're full time into the mowing gig and we're, we're cutting about 300 yards a week right now. And, excavations picking up i've had a guy on the road for probably five weeks now without having any hesitation and work on that side of the business and okay it's a wide open daylight to dark seven days a week thing going it's i enjoy it though i really do it's crazy to see how fast it seems like it's come up too um it looks like you're doing a little bit of everything you got all kinds of stuff going on how many employees do you have I've got 13 guys working for me right now, and I have okay. I have five mowing trucks, one excavation truck, and one like hillside weed eating truck. So okay. basically, seven seven trucks on the road, and it it keeps me moving. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. How cool is that? So the one thing I wanted to ask was uh, if you had one word of advice for somebody who's starting a business from scratch, like you have, what would it be? Because um, you know it's not every day that somebody you know, kind of build something like this just from the ground up. So I wanted to ask you uh, if you had any advice for somebody who was, you know, it doesn't need to be in that industry. It could be in any industry, um, but kind of getting started with a business like that. Would you give them any advice? Uh, I mean, me personally, over the years, I've just, I've got myself into some crappy, crappy jobs. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but just <laughs> never tell somebody no. I mean, if they, if they ask you to do something, daggone, you be there when you, tell them you're going to be there, be there 10 minutes early and mm-hmm. you just do that, get that job done, get it done correctly. And just always show up. I mean, and it just the main thing, I mean, just my, this affects my business more than any, just, okay. you got to have your own set schedule. I mean, if you're in one area on, they'd say an area 10 miles away from your house on Monday, every single Monday, I mean, you need to, just sure. keep everybody on the same schedule. And if these people are expecting you there between 10 and 11 o'clock, they, they're looking for you to be there and just mm-hmm. keep them on schedule. And I've done it now for right around nine, 10 years. And out of every customer I have, like I said, we take care of about 300 a week. There's never been one person missed I mean, That's... since we 
being in business. I mean, we're there every single week, one way or another. I don't care if it's we're cutting 10 o'clock at night with a lights on. I mean, they will get their grass cut. That's awesome. That's that's, awesome. That's, that's what successful people do, right? Like at all costs, basically. Yeah. it turns into some long days and we, like I said, some crappy, crappy jobs, but hey, we, we get it done. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Uh, back to the, back to congrats. Uh, first of all, on, on all the success with the business. That's amazing. Uh, want to take it back to the track though. Uh, so how are we looking for this 25 plus title? I know, uh, if you look at the if you look at the points or whatever online, Justin West is leading with you and, and Zach uh, a little ways back, just one point apart. Uh, I know that that's not necessarily the case as soon as you factor in throwouts and whatnot. Uh, do you know, like, have you done the math? Like what has to happen at Briarcliff for you to win this title? Uh, I honestly, God, haven't really looked into it myself. I think Johnny Hill messaged me the other day and it's basically whoever wins at Briarcliff should win the championship. And that's what and I thought. Uh, that's why I asked. Yeah. Yeah, like, but it, if it happens, it happens. If it don't, it, it, I'm happy for whoever wins it. I mean, that's a, it's just good to be back out there riding and we end up getting a championship. That's a plus for sure. But if Justin <laughs> wins it, I'm tickled to death for him. That would be great for him. And if Zach would win it, I'd be happy for him too. Mm-hmm. So. That's pretty, pretty cool outlook to have. That's pretty special. Uh, last question for you, buddy. I can't thank you enough for doing this, by the way. This has been awesome. Uh, I'm a big sports guy. And I always love to think of our, our ATV athletes and um, in other sports that they've participated in as well. Uh, so you were you were like a star quarterback in high school, right? And um, so give me the give me the scouting report on you as a quarterback because the, the scouting report on you as a rider is you know you get good starts, your corners are a strength, you're fast on the on the ground, and you know so forth. Uh, but give me the scouting report on you as a quarterback. Well, I was actually, I played quarterback my whole career up until ninth grade. And in high school, I actually went to receiver. Okay. And uh, it, like I said, I, I've then, always then, been pretty then, then, then scout yourself as a receiver, however you, however you want to do it. Scout yourself as a football player to me. Well, me as a football player, like as a receiver, for instance, you would never see me really drop balls. And I wouldn't care if I would get absolutely rocked after I caught it. I mean, then normally <laughs> that ball would be caught. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun for sure, too. I mean, it, I was quick, fast, and just I was always caught the ball over the middle and nobody else wanted to. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. The glory days for sure. Uh, Brett, this has been so much fun. I've, I've wanted to do this for a while. I knew we were going to be able to have some great conversation that obviously uh, happened today. It totally lived up to the hype and I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, great job this weekend, man. You killed it. Yeah, I appreciate it for sure. And I appreciate being on the show and congrats to you over the years too, for all your success with racing and the podcast. I mean, it's grown into something big for sure. Hey, I appreciate that, man. Hey, I'll leave you with this one final nugget. I I almost forgot. Uh, So one last laugh for you. Um, Not that you need any luck, but my girlfriend, Brooke, uh, she was saying at Loretta's that, you know, you have luck on your side because you have four living rabbit's feet with you at all times and anyone that knows what i'm talking about right now has a big grin on their face because and i'm a huge fan of your girl's bunny uh but you know she walks it around at the track and i just think that's the coolest thing you'd swear it was a small puppy it's it's hilarious um and this rabbit's just you know on a leash hanging out it's the coolest thing so she says that you have luck on your side 
because you have this rabbit, you have four living active bunny feet on your side and hoping that you she's like, she's like, say this to Brett. And I hope that he finds it funny. It isn't like offensive or something. So she says that luck's on your side because you have this rabbit. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool for sure. I hadn't really ever heard that one before, but <laughs> yeah, that, that, that daggone rabbit eats something else for sure. He's the best little pet you could ask for. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like something I've seen on, on the internet or on social media or whatever over the years. And then when I see it in, in person, like I saw it at, uh, at Redwood, what's its name again? Uh, Cujo. <laughs> okay. So I saw it at Redbud on the leash and it's just hanging out. Like it's during the pro race. Like there's people everywhere. And, you know, I typically, for whatever reason, like I think of bunnies as like skittish or something. And this bunny is not skittish. At least doesn't seem like it. Like it doesn't have a care in the world. There's people around running and walking and whatever. And this bunny's just chill as could be. Oh, you, you ain't kidding it. It'll see somebody walking and I swear it'll start chasing after him, trying to get him, <laughs> to, get him to hold it. And it, it don't matter if it sees dogs, cats, whatever. It runs right up to them. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. So, so I guess, uh, like I said, um, she says that you have luck on your side. So, hey, uh, not that you need the luck, but luck can't hurt, especially going into this Briarcliff race. Maybe it'll all work out for you, pal. Yeah, I hope we end up having a good, fun weekend for sure. Awesome. Hey, you're the man. And, and uh, really, 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 again, just want to thank you for doing this. This has been so much fun. Oh, that's no problem at all. And thanks for having me on. Thanks so much, pal. That's former pro and now pro sport and 25 plus winner at Loretta Lynn's brought to you by Rocky Mountain ATVMC. Click that banner on our website to get your parts gear and everything in between and to help us out. Brett, thanks again, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Thank you. You have, you have a good evening. Thanks, pal. Talk about some great conversations. Good show tonight. The only thing I whiffed on is I meant to ask Brett about fantasy because both him and Faith uh, his girlfriend or fiance, I'm not sure which, uh, but I, I meant to ask them because they're both playing. Brett is currently sitting 99th in our fantasy league points and faith is 116th. So looks like, uh, they've been locked in a battle, uh, all season long. It looks like, um, and with only one event left, looks like Brett's going to have the bragging rights, um, over his better half on this one for this year. So we'll see how it goes next year. I wanted to ask him about that, but we'll have to, uh, ask him that down the road, but great conversation tonight. Good show. Um, really pumped on this one. I felt really good about this episode. So major thanks to tonight's guests, Brett music and Casey Greek. Thanks to producer Dallas Jansen, my brother. Thanks to Brooke and AMA official Harv Whipple for all their help. Thanks to our newest donor, Justin Branham, my man. And thanks to the Stanfield family. Thanks to our sponsors, CST Tires. Go to shop.csttires.com. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, Valvoline, SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Impact Solutions, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Grip Gloves, Factory 43, Bike Strikes and Quads LLC, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Support the brands that support our show and don't forget to use those codes to save. Find it all on our website and be sure to click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner for all your gear and parts needs and to help us out. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. Our show merchandise, including Digging Deep shirts and hoodies, our Quad Guys Get Hot Chicks shirts and hoodies, back-to-back national champ merch, and more are all available at shop.diggingdeepatvmx.com. 
If you're looking for another easy way to support us, visit our website and click the Buy Me a Coffee button. This allows you to set up a one-time or monthly contribution to support our efforts. You can call our voicemail line anytime, 920-569-3519, and follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional content, Digging Deep ATVMX Fantasy Info, and more as the season finale comes into view. Thanks so much to everyone that's playing ATV Fantasy. It's been so much fun. And congrats to our two event winners from Tennessee, Patrick Edmonds and Isaac Borden. We'll get in contact with you guys about your prizes, but congrats to both of them um, for really thriving in the fantasy aspect of things at Loretta Lynn's. As far as the podcast goes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. All episodes, additional podcast providers, sponsor links, and discount codes, our new show merchandise, fantasy info, and more can all be found on our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com, so check that out today. Be a friend, tell a friend, please download, subscribe, rate, review, and share, and we'll be back next week with an array of guests for our Briarcliff preview pod, so be on the lookout for that, stoked for that, really looking forward to that, but with that, For Brett Music, Casey Greek, Brooke Catherine, Dallas Jansen, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen. Thanks for listening to the number one podcast in ATV racing, 2 million downloads and counting. Until next time, thanks for joining us and digging deep with the stars of ATV Motocross. See you next week. Things are crashing and burning here at the Digging Deep Podcast, much like the Titanic. Those guys were hauling ass. For real. I remember watching Doug Gus, I don't know who it was, Steel City, running the same times Friday afternoon as James Stewart was on Sunday back then. It was mental. I've never seen quads go that fast. Quad leaders are freaking nice.